Hey, this is Robert Rodriguez, and I broke the internet with Spider Gwen. You're listening to 11 o'clock comment. Wow, wow. Here's my eardrum. Guys, <laughs> seriously. The mic's my all the way over there, too. The dogs just took strokes. You animal hater. Sure. <laughs> I'm a like racist the animal hater. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're an ugly racist. Uh, animal. I can't even see what I did okay, there. See, I can't even like, No, well, see, you know, he's a good guy. You're, you're just being, racist. No, if you're being opposite, I called you ugly. Oh, that's awesome. Jeez, good for you. I want to give you a little bit, you know. Uh-huh. Just a tip. Big tip. Big red tip. So you saw the picture of what I was reading for you today, right? I did see it. Right. Yes, I'm, I'm grateful. And uh, remember when I asked you if there were variant covers? And Jason said, "No, hell, no. they are." Well, my covers. Two, um, the, the, the two issues did say cover B. Right. Right. Okay. That's not the cover. Oh, I get. oh, oh! You mean the the, the valley goodies? Yeah. Oh, I don't know if they're variants, dude. I, I thought I thought you meant, you know, did we get a copy of each cover? And I'm like, no, nah, dude. You'd be able to see my boner in jersey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know, dude. It would be a whole six inches. Yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> we got the telescope out, so. Maybe if I went to the observatory and... <laughs> that's, why, <laughs> that's why they're firing up the Large Hadron Collider, because they want to get so a, they can find your detailed, dick. a detailed mapping of my dog. <laughs> Get an extra five. Like we thought we were going to study antimatter, and so we found Vince's dick. (laughs) (laughs) I see what we're doing this week. I like it. (laughs) (sighs) If I would have known it was that kind of party, I would have stuck my dick in the mashed potatoes. See, David heard. Yeah, I did. Usually, see, see, my bottles of wine. The decimal places are are, are, It's usually one eight, and then the decimal point. That's I. You have way too many zeros for that shit. I'm right there with you, dude. Shit, my, my uh, alcohol is after the first number. Well, that's because you buy, like, fucking generic past Hur- blue ribbon six-packs. Hurricanes. They went up to two-something, which is still a value. Wow, it's crazy. Hey, everybody. What's up? Guess what time it is. It's 11 o'clock. It's Comics. Wednesday. It's Wednesday, it is. And this is episode 357. Damn, is it? Yes. And I am a very relaxed Vince B. You are. You are very relaxed. I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're very relaxed because of the behind the scenes stuff, but I am, uh, I'm a quite giddy David A. Price. Oh boy. Yes, you are. And all you polytheists know what's up with me because I'm Quetzalcoatl. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I love that one. You can be Quetzalcoatl <laughs> nice. if you want. The Flying Serpent, That's right. aka Q with David Carradine. Oh, but dude. no. You are not Quetzalcoatl. You are Jason Wood in the house once again, all together. And you don't have to be a snake deity to get cheap prices on your favorite comic books. All you have to do, it's very easy, is fire up your internet browsing device and head on over to dcbservice.com. And lo and behold, you will be witness to the absolute lowest prices of funny books and collectibles anywhere. Such as, from Valiant, it's Bloodshot Reborn, written by Jeff Lemire, 
Art is Miko Swayan and a little bit of Jeff Lemire in there to sweeten the pot covers, some of the covers, by our buddy Juan Doe. Cover price is $3.99. Your price, $1.99. That's 50% off. Now, I'm torn on this next one. I don't know if this is still valid or not, but I'm going to announce it anyway because I thought it was a damn good series. One of my favorites, and it has recently been um, pushed to digital only. Uh, it is, of course, yeah, The Ghost Fleet, yes. trade paperback, volume one from Dark Horse, written by Donnie Cates, Art Dan Johnson, cover price fourteen ninety nine. your price $7.49. If you're wondering what I was talking about, Dark Horse made an announcement this week that The Ghost Fleet, The Sundowners, and The Resurrectionists is all are all going digital only. Three of my most favorite titles at the moment can't get them in paper which kind of sucks but at least the creative teams are getting uh the opportunity to take the story where they think it should go or end it uh if need be uh from image written by justin jordan he of long beard and uh the art is by trad moore and felipe sobriero it's the legend of luther strode number one uh, the last in the trilogy this is uh, three ninety nine cover price. Your price one dollar ninety nine cent. DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order additions, and you can get your stuff delivered right to your front door. It's amazing. Don't even think, just do it. DCBService.com and tell them we sent you. Yes, sir. Yeah. And we being eleven o'clock comics. Well uh, done. Uh, absolutely. So, what are you drinking, Vince, on your on your not so ideal day? Oh, you would think I would be drinking alcohol, but as uh, usual, I do not play to expectations. I'm drinking straight old Diet Pepsi. Uh, not Pepe Mac? Not Diet uh, right? I guess it wasn't on sale this week. Oh, snap. So I didn't get it. No, not Diet right. <laughs> you know, it's very good when it's ice cold, but it's other than that, like once you leave it in the glass and it gets all room temperature, it is nasty stuff. Yeah. But when it's ice cold, it's good. Speaking of ice cold, what's our man Dap drinking? Uh, this this may tie into something later on. This is uh, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show once before, but this is a um, a Cabernet Sauvignon from Ooh. the original Dark Horse. Oh snap! It, I'm sure that will tie into something. It already did. Nice. Yes, it did. Nicely done, Vincent. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What about you, Bo? I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm drinking Diet Dr Pepper. Mm-hmm. The choice of booze everywhere. Dude, if you had read a certain book, you'd straight up be my big time spider boo tonight. I don't. I know. <sighs> so you have no one to live with yourself. But I'm just saying, it, it's it's okay though. We still love you. Yeah, I'm. I'm we won't spoil I'm, anything. I'm 50, or will be in August. So you oh, know, so, I'm, okay. I'm like the dinosaur. Okay, so the digital, the be... digital's not working. Yeah, so we're gonna throw my weight around, 50th, man. We're gonna do something cool. I, I don't know. We'll see. You know what we should do? We should hmm. go to North Carolina and party in June. Yes, we should. <laughs> I like that idea. I just put a fish hook in my cheek. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'd like to, but we'll see. Oh. With school. It's, it's kind of tough with school, buddy. I'm, I'm so psyched for your second 50th birthday. That's cool. Hey, I, I get two. That's awesome. I'm living on borrowed time the way it is now. So let's just jump in and do you have any thank yous before we yes. get any farther? Thank you, Vince, for reminding me. I knew it. I do. I do. I actually do. Does anybody else? Uh, Negative. 
No, I don't think so. Okay, I uh, I want to thank um, Giselle, the uh, fantastic artist of um, Monogamy Three. She's cute too. I saw the yes. picture. Yes, yeah, she. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she um, she sent me one of the uh, the few Pamer products I get. Um, the uh, the collected edition. This is actually uh, volume six of. Um, of Menage Three with uh, with a couple of postcards and and the book is signed and 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 nice little sketch inside. So I I want to thank her for uh, sending that to me. You know you can draw and you look like that. That's even hotter. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm serious. Yeah. I I love the way she draws. Who get mail from Canada? She cutie. Mm-hmm. Before we get People started, not though, being like sexist or anything. Oh, not but at she all. is very attractive. She's very attractive. Yes. I want to mention for the listeners out there, um, we it's it's almost baseball time again. Yes. And uh, two of your three loving co-hosts will be participating as we do every year in the 11 o'clock fantasy baseball leagues. And uh, I put a post up on the with some of the information on our Facebook group, 11 o'clock comics. And if you would like to participate and are actually someone who plays fantasy baseball uh, on the regular, then reach out to us in one of our many avenues, whether it be Twitter or Facebook or our forums at 11o'clockcomics.com and let us know. I just uh, confirmed today uh, that we have a quasi-comic celebrity joining one of the leagues this year. Quasi? Yeah. Who? Well, I'm going to keep that a surprise for people. <laughs> Look at that. When are we going to have the 11 o'clock fantasy bowling league? Can we have that? Um, that would be awesome. Or bocce. Fantasy bocce. Oh, it's a fantasy to have. <laughs> yeah. Fantasy curling or? I don't know. I don't know. I've never played that game, but I have bowled and I love it. Yeah, you've bowled a 300 before, haven't you? No, my dad. Oh, your dad, my dad did. Uh, yes, Papa. my father. Papa. My father. I, I wear the ring occasionally. He's a diamond ring for his 300 game, but uh, he has multiple 300s. But I have never been uh, skilled enough to pull off a 300. But if if you, I mean, do do you regularly break 200 or? Oh yeah, 200 is nothing. Huh. I don't think I've ever bowled a 200 in my entire life. Really? Really? Yeah. Hmm. But you guys know how I feel about bowling, so I haven't done it very often. Next time we go to a con, let's go bowling for money. Oh, I would. I guess that's where we're. You literally. Exactly, I guess that's where we're going. Exactly, this is fiftieth birthday party. You couldn't pay me enough to go bowling. No, I want to take your money. <laughs> I'd rather just hand you money. Than there have you to go. go bowling. Let's say six games at three hundred a oh, game. Yeah. Oh. There you go. <laughs> that's a bottle of wine right there. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> transcendent <laughs> boys. Transcendent. Eight nice. up and. Hova. That's true too. You did not see Kate Upton. No. Oh, I, okay. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Again, you would hear the sirens in Jersey if I was in the same room with Kate Upton. <laughs> she is a, a, an interesting creature. Gorgeous creature. And uh, speak. And and it all ties back to baseball. Her boyfriend is a famous major league pitcher. Yeah, I don't know about that. Justin Verlander. Yeah, I was. Uh, Crapping on the the chick that took the Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover out of your gourd. Yeah, you were. You're wait, wait. I was crapping on her because Kate's my girl, and that's her cover. But I, I took a really good look at that cover. <laughs> of it. 
She's she's a very attractive woman. She is. She's an eleven. <laughs> yeah, I I don't don't disagree with that. Also, by the way, it all comes back to baseball tonight because she's dating Derek Jeter. Didn't he do Madonna? You want to no. go the oh, same? Place? No, you're thinking that's Alex Rodriguez. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Same team, different type of player. <laughs> you, did, you did Madonna. You did a lot of. Well, if you did so, Derek Jeter, you did a lot. So that's true. if you did Madonna, that's, you did Sean Penn, and that's pretty gross. Oh, I like Sean Penn. Uh, he, he, that's, he's a racist. Is he? He's no. such a racist. No. He's a Mexican. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about comics, shall we? Oh, shall we? We should talk about the biggest book of the week that we uh-huh. all read. Yes, by the man who introduced this very show. Nice, Mr. You mean the man, who, the man who sat in with us last week and killed it? Well, I didn't want to do two weeks of Jason Latour. No offense, oh. Mr. Latour. I wanted to give Robbie a little. Oh, bit of props. nice. Yeah. Robbie's gonna get a lot of props tonight. Well, I'm sure. So why don't you tell me about it? Oh man, tell us about it. It's well, it's it's uh. One your eleven Oscars already, dude. Seriously, it kind of did. Uh, I keep that 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 tab open for the next few weeks. Um, it's a uh, it's it's the first issue, uh, from the uh, spinning out of Edge of Spider Verse number two with its fourth freaking printing. Uh, Spider Gwen number one brought to you by um. Jason Latour, Robbie Rodriguez, Rico Renzi. Uh, it's, um, definitely has the same feel from that, uh, that one shot last year, that, that, that one chapter from the miniseries. Um, it takes place pretty much about three days after, uh, Spider-Verse ended. Um, and I, I read issue, I read Amazing 15 tonight also which is labeled an epilogue but really is the actual final chapter of the event um i can't wait but this uh it's a really it it's a it ends strong it, it's a good finish uh this however uh looks beautiful rodriguez's work um shines and rico's colors just seriously make it sing uh latour has a great knack for the dialogue and, and everybody sounds or, or you, you hear the differences when it, there's no just one voice throughout the entire issue. Um, I love Gwen's personality, the way, um, the way she talks to herself and, uh, it basically this is, uh, it's like the anti silk. What I didn't like about silk last week, I absolutely adored about spider Gwen this week. Uh, it's a, um, well, why don't you refresh my memory since I don't remember what you didn't like about Silk? Well, you really didn't get into it. Uh, oh, well, why don't you tell them to? We're trying to keep it positive. Okay. Um, I, I, I did not like Silk number one. And I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for, um, for you guys to read it before we get into it. Um, cause maybe it's just, maybe it's just me. Maybe I just had high hopes for it. I just, I, Cindy Moon is, is not a character I think right now with the little we know about her with, with, with how she's kind of been, how she was portrayed in the Spider-Verse event, how, how she was, um, how she's kind of in our faces from, from jump. Uh, I don't think she's a character. She's a backup story character in my mind. She's not somebody who needs a solo series. And, and that's, it's, it's hard for me to read 20 pages of, of that character. Um, but like I said, I'll, I'll, my feelings 
probably don't match the majority and, and, and that's fine. I just, there's plenty of other things to enjoy like this book. And, and, uh, it really is. I, one of my favorite things about alternate earths, uh, especially in the Marvel universe is finding out who or where or what, uh, the characters in the 616, what they're doing on alternate earths and, and like earth 65, which is where this spider woman, um, resides, uh, Frank Castle is a captain, uh, with the New York police and, um, Ben Grimm's a patrol officer. Yes, he is. Who is, and, and you, you hear Ben, it just, it sounds a little, well, it looks a little different. Uh, you, you see Foggy Nelson. Uh, there's a dude named Hobie who I'm, I'm guessing is, uh, the same person who, who is the prowler in, in 616. Uh, there's Randy Robertson. There's, there's Glory. There's, um, there's of course, unfortunately, uh, Mary Jane Watson, who is the, the, for me, the only negative about the issue. And, and I think she's supposed to be, I don't, it's not, it's not the kind of, of feeling I have when I roll my eyes, when someone shows up, it, Mary Jane is a character who I, I, I don't think you're supposed to really, uh, be supporting in this book, which is fine. So it's fitting, um, ever. Mary Jane is a character you're not That's supposed saying. to be she is, she, she's supporting. She's a bitch regardless ever. of the earth. She's yeah, got her cut tan minds. Nah, so, <laughs> so uh, but um, but we don't get an actual. We don't get a lot of of Gwen Stacy outside of the costume, um, in this. But but it, it's a quick moving book. I cannot wait for the um for the second issue. I will be rereading this uh, a couple times over the next few weeks the the big bad as um mr latour hinted at last week is uh is vulture is uh is adrian tombs and he looks a little oh, i mean he's still old but the costume has been tweaked a little bit for um for this earth for this world uh but i think it just it looks amazing it is it, it it's it is one of my favorite i think first issues because of just how it kind of sucks you in and does not you you really don't need to know much uh, because we don't know much we we had the one issue from edge of spider-verse and we had her popping up in spider-verse helping out the team but we don't know anything about this spider woman so as we're finding out more about gwen stacy from this earth um we're all kind of on, on the same page. It's a level playing field. So with this first issue, it's, it's a great opportunity for everybody to, uh, to catch up and, and, and to be on the same page. You, you get the, the recap on the first page and then you're kind of just in this world. And it's a, um, like I said, it's, it's a beautiful looking world. I, I, and not recommend this issue enough. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think the, uh, I, I, I wasn't sure when they announced that they were going to do the book. Um, like, I guess my initial thought was that it would be, uh, it would take place in our, not in our, but in the main Marvel universe that somehow she would be transplanted into our 616 after Spider-Verse somehow. Um, so as you alluded, that's not the case and that's a pleasant surprise for me because I think there's more possibility there to, 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 it's more interesting to discover her world and again the parallels and 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 the disconnects and the like um i've never been i know this is gonna be blasphemy for you too but i have never been a very big fan of the vulture i have always thought it was a pretty whack villain 
Because he's old. Yeah, because he's old. Yeah. And so this is probably the most impressive the Vulture's ever been to me. Um, and there's just a lot to love about this book. I, I, I you could the way, um, the the way Latour has all the characters speaking, they feel young. Like yes. you know, like like you know, like not, you and, right? Not like a not like a young like not like a an all ages kids way. They, they but they feel like they're. Uh, you know, twenty somethings in the in the year t- two thousand and fifteen, right? Not not like it, it, I don't know. It's just it's 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 timely. It's and... not Stanley trying to be hip. Exactly. I was, yeah. was going to say, I don't expect Latour to fall prey to the um, Tom DeFalco. <laughs> hey, look, it's the guys from Imagine Dragons. <laughs> They're awesome. You know how DeFalco would yeah, always right, try right, to sure. inject, yeah, just to be hip. Yeah, absolutely. Um. I don't know. I think it's, I think the idea of a Josie and the Pussycats esque band, uh, is super hot. I love that. Yes. Yep. Uh, especially because it's aptly called the Mary Janes as it should be. Um, uh, no, I just, uh, you know, it's, it's a really, it was an excellent first issue. You know, it, let, it leaves us on a cliffhanger. And yes. like you said, David, the, I mean, R- Robbie just crushes it with the art. It's, it's, it's visually beautiful. Rico too, you know, with, I, I think, the the colors are are vital too. The, from the obviously the uh, that that pop of hot pink in her costume is is mm. probably well known by everybody at this point. But you know the way she tags the city with that bright green spray paint to fuck with the vulture. I just I mean every little part of this uh, of this book I thought was really well done from the, the lettering book. all the way up to the to the to the script. So only thing I had about the lettering is that the um, the P's look like D's. It took me a second to like just. Once, once I got the hang of that, everything was fine. Um, the Bodega Bandit looks like the Hamburglar. Yeah, ridiculous, right? And uh, <laughs> and 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 I think the only thing that kind of just slightly slowed me down was um, was like the one lone footnote um, because you had the editor Nick Lowe pop up in the panel. That other than that, I, I thought the issue was um, it, it's. It's going to be tough to beat for me. And I can't believe you didn't mention that uh, this Frank Castle is not only a detective, but he also is a spitting image of a young Dap, aka Kevin Master. <laughs> I'm not. What I, was that? That was. I don't know. That was. Hold on. Uh, that was Mario's text to me. All it says is Spider Verse with a question mark. So Mario just popped up on the show. I'm now going to D and D this phone. So we won't hear any more updates. Um, but yes. Thank you for killing Mario. I will, um, we'll, we'll get to Spider-Verse in a minute, but, uh, no, you're right. He absolutely, yeah. Frank, Frank Castle with the, with the, um, with the beard and, and having the scowl like I tend to do when we're driving to work. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. He kind of does. He really does. Uh, and, and the Matt Murdock as villain is kind of cool too. What? He's a lawyer. Well, it's because of the, um, I'm glad we had the previously because you had Matt Murdock talking to um, uh, Mr. Alexi, the uh, Rhino, and, yes. and he, um, right. So th- we we were reliving that that fight scene, but it was um, Matt Murdock instead of being instead of Daredevil being one of uh, because he had to get hand me down villains instead of being Kingpin's nemesis, he's actually I guess his ally. He is uh, he's in the pocket. Of Wilson, he's Pitt. the he's basically oh yeah, so he's like the conciliary um, of the kingpin. Yes, he's bullseye. 
No, no, because no, no, no. He's he's the lawyer. He's Bullseye's lawyer. He's not. He's not a hitman. Or I mean, no, I mean, he's he's Kingpin's lawyer. Yeah, Kingpin. yeah, right. But he's in the Kingpin's pocket, yes. so he's akin to Bullseye. Yeah. If well, I mean, if we see him dress up and whatnot, I will be more apt to co-sign that. But right now, he's just you know he is. Yeah, he's he's just kind of the dude in the suit, making sure Kingpin stays clean. Um, One of the things I have to agree with Jason uh, and and David is that I am so glad that. The book is not set in the six because you know as well as I do that if Gwen was in the same reality as Peter, he would do everything in his power to ensure that what happened before never happened again. Yeah, no, we don't. We- so, I mean, the dude has enough on his mind to begin with. He would, he would base, he would obsess over keeping her safe. And, you know, that's, that would wear thin. We don't want to see that. You know, isolated bursts, that's fine. But uh, as an ongoing thing, no, nah, let's just keep them separated for now. I agree. It's, it's a, uh, no, it, it absolutely works as a, uh, it, it needs to be, I want to make sure, well, I want to make sure, I want to see it, it live on its own and, and just not, not be so connected to, um, our right. 616 Spider-Man universe like the, uh, the, the Jessica Drew Spider-Woman book or Silk or there's plenty of spider stuff going on and, um, this, this should be on its own. It, it, it has its own voice. It doesn't need to be in the, um, in the middle of everything else going on. And the one cool thing about, um, because I read this and then I read Amazing Spider-Man 15 and, and, it works. It's not like one spoils the other. You obviously Gwen is back on her earth. But what's pretty cool though about this, the last chapter in, in Spider-Verse, um, one of the spiders is about to go back to his earth. Uh, but the, um, the weaver, uh, lets him know that, uh, the earth is no longer there and, and that there are incursions happening that he's aware of that are affecting other earths so oh secret there wars. you go so yes nice yes. and there will be a secret wars spider verse book so yep. we're not done with with the whole spider verse yet but no uh so uh, uh, spider gwen number one get it did you hear that um age of ultron versus marvel zombies is an ongoing <laughs> <laughs> no dude that's awesome i can't wait that's like right up my alley cool steve Pugh is drawing oh, nice. oh that's cool that's cool yeah yeah no i'm there marvel zombies come on i mean i know i'm the the odd man out when it comes to that marvel property but i love that concept love it awesome no i gotta get my hands on this issue too sweet yes you do yep so what else do we have gentlemen what do you tell us why don't I tell you? Let's see. I get the book over here. I want to talk a little bit, well, actually a lot bit where this book is concerned, uh, about Valiant. Cause I got caught up on what I'm pretty confident is by far the best Valiant book, not including miniseries. Oh, say okay? what? The best, the best Valiant ongoing. And it is written. By Mr. Matt Kent and illustrated. And I hesitate to use that word because it's almost as if this thing is, is, uh, is grown. <laughs> it, it, it boggles my mind how somebody can employ 
obviously employ digital techniques in their work and have it look entirely organic. E- even the technology and, 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 and things that, that should not look organic, like buildings and, and, and other stuff like that. It, it, there, there, there's a, there's a, an energy running through all his work that I just, I envy and I wish I could duplicate. Um, it's Clayton Crane. Uh, does the art, and I'm talking about Rye. I read one to six. The uh, the first trade is called Welcome to New Japan. Jason, are you familiar with this incarnation of Rye at all? Not as of yet. Oh my goodness! All right, here's the picture. It is entirely removed from the Valiant universe proper. Uh, so you can jump into Rye. Not uh, if you are not a Valiant reader, you can jump into this book. And you will not have missed a beat. It is not connected to anything. They, Rai mentions, um, Eternal Warrior at one point, but only in passing. Um, you're not going to see Exo Manowar show up in here, uh, because it's set in the 41st century. Uh, Japan is a gigantic, <laughs> multi-tiered city that, uh, is not somewhere in the Pacific. It is in geosynchronous orbit. Japan actually floats above the Earth. Nice. It's it's powered by solar technology and all and all that good stuff. Uh, and the place, like I said, it's it's broken up into strata. You'll have one sector that's maybe like old Los Angeles, another that's um, like say Manhattan, like old Manhattan. You, there's there's even a level. That is, uh, they have genetically engineered, uh, dinosaurs. There's like a prehistoric level. It's insane. And presiding over this whole mess is, uh, an entity that, uh, is known as Father. Who is, is not in, see, the, the, he's not entirely, I don't think, he, there's not much of him that's flesh and blood. He's, he's wetware. He, he's an, um, artificial intelligence, but the, the, the stuff, of fathers is called um live wire and i'm not talking about amanda mckee from from uh you know unity um he's he's wetware he's technology but there's there's a a germ of of the physical in there too and live wire is is everything everything in in new japan is, is dependent on live wire even even rai who is the protector of new japan and he has this link with father He's never heard him speak and he's never seen him, but he gets information instantly from, from father. Rai is not entirely digital himself. He, he was, he was born human and infused with the live wire and he can literally, he's tied to Japan. He is, is, he's of Japan and he is in Japan. Like he could, he could, um, disassemble himself. And, and appear in any part of, of the city. So he's, he's the, 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 the protector. And there has been more than one rye for the reasons I'm going to tell you. I don't know how much of this I should give away, David. I, I only read issue number five so far. I have six and okay. seven sitting next to me. Yeah. So you know, you know the, the, the gist of it. Yeah. What was the, neat about number five is that there's a little, um, on the inside cover, they basically tell you it's 4001 AD, welcome to Rye number five, and they give you a rundown of who, who some characters are. There's Rye, Father, Rye. Spylock, Lula Lee, yeah. uh, Dr. Silk, who the Raddies are, 
who the PTs are and who um, Momo is. Right. Uh, it is Clayton Crane art, so that's to say that some of it can be a little on the dark side. Uh, 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 what? What? You could tell no. Me it isn't? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay, buddy. It's not. All right, bud. Uh, oh, so snap. when you get when you get to the middle page, when you get to the, oh, to the fold in in issue number five, Jason, you tell me if that doesn't look too dark. Um, right. Or the next couple pages when um, it takes place at night. when it takes place at night and, and underground, and and that's when. Uh, She's over here talking to uh, Isaac. That, that that's nice and dark. I'm also not a. I I like the story Kent is telling, and awesome. and Kent's another one who's becoming like one of those chameleons we talk about. Like you just you know like like when you don't know what you're gonna get. You can't say oh it's an Alan Moore comic because there's no voice. There's it it's, so right. He doesn't have an instantly identifiable. Right. Um, right. but the. Uh, the the lettering the word balloons are huge compared to the art that it it's 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 a little in a sense it looks weird because as as detailed and as as uh, deliberate as Crane is making each page each panel look um, the super huge lettering is is a little bit of a distraction but you know technically with all of that out of the way what I read from this fifth issue I do want to I've never been a big Ryfan, even from the original Valiant. It was just, you know, I, I, I didn't read a lot of Magnus either. I was kind of more in the present day Valiant stuff. I really didn't care too much about the stuff from the future. So after I read number five, I do want to go back and read the first four issues, which I can honestly say has never happened to me with a rival before. Well, that's a good sign. Yeah, right? I think so. You're breaking up just a little bit. Um, but Jason, there, yes. there is a ton, there's a ton of stuff going on in, in this. There book. really is. Uh, um, it is not a dystopian future. It's the exact opposite. Uh, the Japan of the 41st century. Utopian future. Yeah, but see, there's a worm in the apple. Uh-huh. Um, they have, uh, because technology has advanced to the point, uh, where they have virtually eliminated disease and death. People live for the, 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 the baseline is not, uh, decades. It's centuries. There, there are some old freaking people running around in this book, uh, because the technology has enabled them. You, if you get cancer, they eliminate it. If one of your organs fails, you grow a new one. It, you know what I mean? So when, when you just, dis- you have to decide to check out in this reality. If, if you've been alive for too long and you know, you just, yeah, it's time to, to take my final rest. Then they, you know, you can pull your own plug, but death is, is very rare. Murder uh, even more so, and that's where the story starts. The there's a murder, the first murder in a thousand years, and uh, Rai is sent to investigate. Um, there, there's a ton of characters running around. You have, as, J, as David said, there's uh, positrons, which are artificial um, humans. You can't say the R word. It's yes, it's, it's, no. it's, it's robots it's, it's like, like muty. Yes. Uh, you got raddies running around, which are the 41st century equivalent of the militant Amish. If it's, uh, powered by electricity, they don't like it. They, they don't like father. They don't like, uh, technology. New Japan, they want to bring it down. They want to send the city crashing to earth. Um, earth itself is, is, uh, has become synonymous with hell. Like, uh, if, if you're talking trash with someone, you say, oh, I'll go to earth the the ground terra firma it, it's it's 
looked as something that's undesirable. They they don't they don't want it. They don't like it. They're they're happy in their 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 Japan. And isn't that fitting? Japan has been an insular country for tons of years. Um, uh, there's a a folk hero in this, akin to like a James Bond. His name is Spylock. And he seems to be ancient as well. He's, he's, uh, running around and there's movies based on this character, but he's actually in the story. So, so it's like pop culture made real. Um, one of the, um, characters that latches on to, to Rye is a young girl named Lula. She's, she's just going to, to turn 16. And when you become 16, you get your own positronic Friend. Entity, a friend to follow you around. See, re- reproduction is closely monitored. You don't, there's not people screwing everywhere making babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be, because, because, uh, um, the space is at a premium, they cannot have a population explosion. So you get this, um, in quotes, robot to accompany you through life, um, not only for friendship, but to, um, quench other desires as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, you have to go through, um, According to, uh, according to the 16 year old, you have to go through like a gazillion tests and answer a lot of super weird and mostly boring questions. And then they <laughs> custom make a companion for you. Right. Yep. So the companion is synthetic, but self-aware runs on live wire or something. It actually grows with you and ages with you. So it's not like just a little kid friend that as you grow older, it stays 16, but it's, um, right. yeah, it's, yep. it's the positron grows. Yeah. But is it, it, what does that say about Lula that her, um, tailor-made positron is a, a girl? I, I find that very interesting and, and could possibly pave the way for a lot of stories. See, well, I just, I saw that as that you usually, you know, your, your best friend is usually someone of the same sex. I didn't, I didn't think of it as, as anything beyond, you know, this is my new best friend. And just like, you know, boys tend to have boys, best friends when they grow up and girls have girl best friends. Right. That's how I saw it. But if it's to, to stem reproduction as when you get to the age where that becomes a concern and your, your companion is, is the same sex as you. Right. You know, so I mean, there's possibilities there for some really cool stories. Um, uh, father knows many things that are going on in the city because of the positrons. They're called fish eyes. They're like the father's uh, eyes and ears in the city. And um, the raddies, who do not want to be noticed by father, have developed a drug called a cult. And when when they ingest this stuff, um, they, there's live wire in it. So it is the same stuff as as father. He can't he can't see them. He can't track them. So I mean, there is a ton of stuff going on here, but basically, it's a it's a mystery. The at least the six issues that I read, because um, no, the four issues are a mystery. Then it goes somewhere else. Uh, there's a murder. Who is this woman that was murdered, and why? And you'll find out if you read the first trade. I don't want to blow that because that is a huge deal. Uh, and David hasn't read it, but uh, the, 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 he goes and in, Kent goes into the reason why. There has been more than one rye over the, the, the centuries because they wig out at a certain point. Once they get particular information, they go bonkers and they have to be removed. And this rye, wouldn't you know it? He's different. Of course he is. Yes, he's different. He's not like all the other ones. 
the swords are the coolest part. He does like they're not normal swords; they emerge right from his body. So he's he he's of the digital realm and he's of the physical realm as well. It's very cool, very cool. But um, I think I think it's the perfect mix of, of both um, writing and art because um, I can't see anyone replicating what either gentleman did on this book. The the writing is dense, but it doesn't feel that way. And you know, if you've read Mind Management, there's a lot of concepts being thrown around, but it never seems overwhelming. The they're presented in 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 relatively bite-sized chunks uh, and and kent doesn't tend to dwell on stuff mm-hmm. uh and like i said the art it's it's a singular experience uh there are panels in here that um for me anyway they're they're roadblocks because um as uh one who does this stuff i would just scan and just try and discern how the frig did he pull this mm-hmm. off it's it's the intensely uh detailed but it it never looks busy to me, like um it it's akin to Blade Runner. It, it's it seems oh here's here's what I think. If you were a fan of this is the closest uh, analogy I can make to this book. If you were a fan of Ghost Rider twenty ninety nine, you will love this book. It, it is in the same spirit as Ghost Rider twenty ninety nine, but it's more it's more cerebral. It's more intense. It's um. I don't know. With Pacello and uh, Ashley Wood, I would even say that this book is even better illustrated than that. <laughs> I don't. Th- there is something about Clayton Crane's style that it completely mesmerizes yes, me. I love it. The the Blade Runner analogy comparison would probably be apt if Blade Runner took place a during any daylight and it never rained. Well, see, there's a reason why the rain is there because because Lula lives on a sector below. The condensers right. that that cool the the sectors above. So of course, as anyone who has ever seen an air conditioner, when air conditioners do what they do, they spit out water. So she lives in the sector below. That's why it's always raining. That's awesome. Who would think of that? I can't. I, don't know, I we have to get another couple of issues of uh, a Time Walker before I uh, give you the whole rise the best valiant ongoing. I'm not uh, reading too yeah. many Valiant Ongoings. I'm not reading at the moment. I'm not. Uh, I'm way behind on Unity, and and I I have to catch up on Exo Man of War. So I I really can't say that. Uh, you look at the um the, the the back page, and you see what's coming up, and and like Doctor Mirage is a five issue series, Return of Quantum and Woody's a five issue series. Yeah, I'm reading everything out of Valiant, and. Uh... I don't know. I'm I'm kind of torn. I, I at, at the moment um, this has completely mesmerized me, and I'm thinking it it it's top of the, the heap, nice. valiant. But uh, one more thing I didn't tell you, Jason. Um, like I said, New Japan they collect solar energy, so the the ratties are always trying to blow up these solar mm-hmm. collectors. But when the power gets to a certain level, when they've collected uh, excess power, what they do is they raise the earth. They destroy huge sections of Earth. They expend like the excess energy, and they just obliterate sections of the planet, populated or not. They Father doesn't give a shit. We have excess energy. Boom, it's gone. And there's one one section where you see a bunch of, of uh, uh, I don't want to say natives, but um, a bunch of, of people just 
on the earth, mother with child, babies, doesn't matter. And then you see the beam come down and it's just nothing. Boom, gone. It's despicable. Um, so, and Rye is beholden to father. So I don't want to say anymore. You got to read it. I'm, I'm thinking you're going to cool. love this cool. book. Are you a fan of, of, of Crane? Uh, well, I, I, um, the next force. Well, like, I, I mean, when I, the first thing that comes to mind when I hear Crane is, as Dap just alluded, is how dark his stuff always looks. Does Sonya owe back to the coloring? No. No, Crane yeah, does everything. everything. Okay. Well, we'll see. I'm going to call, I'm going to call David Baby Ruth. You know why? You've done this joke before. Because <laughs> you're nutty, dude. Uh, you're a hey, bitch. <laughs> Filled with caramel and stuff inside. Yeah, uh, but I do, while we're, let's just keep it real. I'm enjoying, I'm, I'm enjoying all of the Valiant stuff save for one. And it's the one that had I read Quantum and Woody from this author, I would probably not be reading uh, Quantum and Woody. And that scares me because I hear so much good things about Christopher Priest's Quantum and Woody. And I read uh, almost all of Quantum and Woody Must Die flatline. I, I almost it, couldn't get through it. It makes me wonder if um, you can't go home again. I'm seriously because the asthma stuff is great. The yeah. like the the delinquents, yeah. oh, the delinquents the, is awesome. The, uh, the, um, yeah, and the other quantum and Woody stuff. I mean, Fred Van Lente did it too. But uh, I I keep David is so in love with Christopher Priest stuff, and I'm thinking this is going to be an experience. And I got to issue four, and it was yeah. I had I read it as the second issue. It was it's yes. painful and it's convoluted. I uh, it's 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 unlike the other Quantum and Woody books. I don't understand the rationale behind publishing this series other than it's Christopher Priest and, and Bright. I think you right? should read the original. I'm okay. well, I'm going to. I am. But, but what I'm just saying is, um, if this was my first experience uh, to Quantum and Woody, I it would probably be your last. Read yeah. It. No, I, it's it's yeah. not a. Um, I I want I want to like it a lot more than I do. It's all over the place too. It's goes to the past, the present. I mean, the regular Quantum and Woody, the miniseries, they do that. They jump around, but this is just, it, it's messy. This, I, I, you don't I, know which I one is which. I couldn't get the kid. Yeah, yeah I couldn't right, rock any right. of it. Uh, Jason, yes, sir, Vince. Tell me. Uh, it's uh, I've come to the conclusion that uh, Mark Miller lives a charmed life. <laughs> Why is that? Well, I mean. He, he he gets to make a living doing the thing he loves the most, which is something mm-hmm. most people can't say, write comics. And he's on his way to yet another uh, movie uh, success based on his films, The Kingsman. What's that? Oh. Which uh, I still haven't seen, but I'm definitely interested in seeing. Dude, you know, for all this talk of all these people that get these Hollywood deals, all I know is Miller shit gets actually made, which is impressive. Hollywood loves his stuff. But with that said, I read a a um, miniseries by Mr. Miller that came out last year that was sitting in my stack for a while, and uh, I thought it was fantastic. Wow, what it is? It is uh, a, a little book called Starlight. Ah. Written by Miller uh, with phenomenal art by Mr. Goran Parlov. It really is. It's crazy good. <laughs> the art is crazy good. It's... Uh, uh, and in essence, in essence, the, this book is in many ways, uh, Miller's take on Flash Gordon. Um, but it's done in, I think, a very clever way, which is to say that, uh, Duke McQueen, uh, is a big, burly senior citizen 
living in a small town and the love of his life, his high school sweetheart, he's been with her for over 40 years, passes away from cancer and he's all alone and his kids don't really have time for him. They're all that live in their own lives and he's, uh, he is at this point pretty much now that his, his, his life partner's gone is only known as the crazy old man who years and years ago uh, went missing and came back and swore to everybody that he was transported to another world named Tantalus and was a hero there and came back to Earth. And so people think he's just this crazy old man, including his own kids. His own kids think that, uh, in fact, they even worry that he's got dementia because, uh, and whether or not that he could take care of himself now that, that is, his wife's gone. Um, but of course, this is comic books, and so... Um, we know as the readers, because we see the, the opening scenes that it's not in his mind. He was in fact, as a, as a young man transported to Tantalus and much like Flash Gordon, uh, fought, uh, alongside uh, a bunch of people, including the queen to successfully, um, dethrone, uh, or the invaders. Um, you know, there's an analog for Ming the Merciless and, uh, and, and then, you know, he, he basically, he helped free the world and they erected a gigantic skyscraper sized statue in his honor. And, uh, the queen wanted him to stay and be her consort, but he had to get back to earth because of his, his, the love of his life. He, he didn't want to be away from her and he came back to earth and, and lived happily ever after. Um, so now it's again, flat fast forward to 40 plus years later and his wife just passing away and his kids have no time for him and a little, uh, pink haired youngster, uh, appears at his house and explains that they stole a spacecraft, popped through a wormhole, and f- tried to find him because they needed Duke McQueen to come back to Tantalus and help save the day. And uh, so he's got nothing better to do, so he goes back to Tantalus and uh, even in his old self recaptures what uh what what he was back when he was a a a, a younger man and uh, and plays the hero yet again. And um, I, I thought it was just great. I, I, one of the things that I most love about some of the stuff that Miller does in recent years is this is what it was. It's a six-issue miniseries, and we're not going to get more. He, he gave us a story. He told the story, and he got out. You know, this isn't uh, one through six and then stay tuned for seven through 12. This is I have a story to tell. It's going to take about six issues, and then I'm out. And um, uh, Parlov, I'm pretty sure this is his first creator-owned work. And I, I was a fan of his stuff on the Punisher for sure, but he has changed his style for Starlight and in a great way. Um, if, if, I don't know if you've seen this, Vince, but if you were to look at the first page, if I were to tell you that it was Chaken, like vintage 1980s Chaken, you, you would believe me. Yeah, I read the okay. first oh, issue. Oh, you didn't like it? Yeah. No, I did. I just... Uh... It just fell okay. by the wayside. For yeah, I, I really think Parlov, whether intentional or not, really channeled Chaken here. Um, and, and, you know, combine that with the fantastical, uh, colors that are befitting again of, um, the colors frankly look more like a, like a Bond Dessine, you know, a Mobius-esque or a, or a Yodorovsky type of, um, uh, you know, uh, European graphic novel, right? Like, like pastels sure. and, uh, just, just crazy colors, just blending pastels and fluorescence and all sorts of things together to evoke how alien this world really is. But, uh, but, uh, and, and the designs, much like Flash Gordon, are retro, and that the ships and the laser guns and everything are straight out of a 1950s pulp novel, 
But I just, I thought it was awesome. I really did. And then, you know, I thought it just, it, again, it had a complete story arc. It just, it told the story. It got in, it got out and it had a happy ending. And, and, uh, and you, you root for Duke McQueen, you feel for Duke McQueen. And then at the end, you're smiling because life has worked out in his favor. And that's just great. So good things happen to good people and you get action adventure rolled in with that. And, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I know Miller is a divisive guy. I know some people love his stuff. Some people not so much. Um, I, I have generally been more entertained by his stuff than not. I can't say everything he's ever done I've loved, but, but, uh, this is definitely in the, 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 the ledger, the side of the ledger that, that I think argues for him being one of comics better writers, uh, of, of our, of our lives. I, I think he's, he's, he, he is, um, he, he's he's not only prolific, but he covers lots of different genres. And while this certainly could be called derivative in the sense that there are more than one similarity to Flash Gordon, I I, I think ultimately that's okay because I think what makes this story special is the is the 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 time lapse. And you know, it's kind of what if Flash Gordon had to go back uh, as an old man? What would that be like? And and that, to my knowledge, that wasn't done originally. So I, I I dug it a lot, man. I dug it a lot, and I think Parlov. Um, is a guy that more people need to recognize because uh, I doubt if unless you read his Punisher stuff, it's not like he's done a ton of other stuff that people are aware of. And, and uh, Homeboy is, uh, is is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, he's exceedingly yeah, talented. Yeah, Agreed. So I think they're gonna do a a jumbo um, hardcover cool. for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I read cool. that somewhere. It's funny you mentioned Howie Chaikin. Yeah. Yeah, because I read some Chaikin. Some some new Chaikin or week. some old Chaikin? <laughs> no, some very oh, old nice. Chaikin. Oh, nice. Nasty Chaikin? Yeah. Well, no, it's good Chaikin. No, I mean nasty, uh, like dirty. like. Oh, no, 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 no. You'll be like, no, no. In anticipation of the, the new Marvel Star Wars books. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I read the first 28 issues of the original Marvel right. series. But um, they weren't published by Marvel. This was published by Dark Horse. Well, the Omnibus were. It's, yeah. uh, right. When Dark Horse still had the, the license, they would release these wonderful Omnibus editions, uh, $24.99. And you get, uh, I believe it's 28 issues or 26 issues. Uh, either way, um, of 26 issues, w- what I call the really good stuff. Because it was a time when, yeah, Star Wars was becoming a phenomenon, but Lucas did not have the stranglehold on on the characters in the universe to the degree he did with Empire and then ramped up, you know, with each subsequent uh, film or property. So anything goes in these early issues. Um, the first six is when Chaikin is at the helm. And they're adapted by Roy Thomas. And I, from just from the, the dialogue, I'm guessing Lucas provided Marvel with a shit ton of reference. Because there are a lot of lines in, in these books that are just pulled right from the movies. Uh, the the, the, uh, the banter is uh, extremely familiar. Being a fan, I mean, who's not a Star Wars fan, right? Um, but the thing that, that amazes me is, while they did seem to give them a lot of reference uh, for the... Uh, story, a lot of the, the, uh, reference for the ship seems to be missing. Like there, Jake drew some wonky Star Destroyers. So Cassidy was um, just fo- fi- following up on what, uh, 
what came before him. Yeah. But no, what the 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 uh, Falcon is is pretty dead on, with the exception of you almost never see the Falcon's back end, and that's that stays true through Carmine Infantino. Like is as far as these artists are concerned, the Falcon did not have exhaust <laughs> ports, and, and the, like it's just they never. And when they do show the back end of the ship, there's always the blast of energy coming out. You even even the Star Destroyers, and it and it's. It's uh, more prevalent with with Infantino. They're wafer thin, and they have no exhaust in the back. Like you, you almost never see the back end of it. And I just feel like it's strange that Lucas gave them, like seemingly gave them as much information as he could on the story initially, that with the dialogue and the you know, but the the ships not so much, uh, which it just seems odd to me, right? The the toys had to have been made. Or, or were were being made when this came out, so I, I don't see why it wasn't you know easy just to say okay here's what we got going on down at the plant just replicate this. But Roy Thomas gave it a good shot. I think he stayed on for eight issues or seven issues, eight issues, and then the the savior of the book comes on because you know the adaptation was pretty straight, uh, and then you get two issues with Han Solo and Chewie. Uh, trying to get that reward that the princess gave them at the end of uh, New Hope. They're trying to get it back to Jabba to settle Han's debt. And it gets taken away from him. And who do we meet in, the, I believe it's issue eight? Jackson the Rabbit. Yes. I, I love Jackson. He is, I, I always uh, had not so good memories of Jackson. Like I thought, he, uh, I mean, I read these when they first came out. But over the years, Jackson... Uh, kind of transformed in my mind to something of a joke, and and he kind of is to a certain no extent. Jar. He's a great. Well, th- I always equated him with Jar Jar. That's the thing. Like when you know, oh that damn rabbit. But but going back and reading these, Jackson is kind of damn yeah. cool. He's he's a a very tall green carnivorous rabbit. I'm I was as I was reading this, I'm thinking that's one of the things that I loved about these old Star Wars books that. Anything was possible because they there was no roadmap. Even even Jabba the Hutt shows up early on, and it does not look like Jabba the Hutt that we know. I mean, it, it's it's humanoid looking. It's not a big sweaty slug looking thing, you know. But the the savior of the book, in my opinion, Archie Goodwin. You could say that with a lot of things that Archie was the savior. When Archie gets on the 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 storyline gets amazing. There's a flow, there's a casino in a certain sector of space that the, uh, that kicks back so much in taxes to the empire that the empire, uh, decides to, uh, enact a hands off policy because people don't want to gamble when the empire is breathing down their necks. So it's like a, a neutral zone. And Luke, uh, for some reason when he was doing his, uh, force training, he just faints and they can't revive him. So they, they take him to this casino. And Chewie gets thrown in the gladiator, gladiator pits. Like they bet on everything in this thing. And uh, Leia and Han are running around trying to uh, escape from the Empire. And the, the 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 person in charge of the casino is working both sides. Like the the what the Empire did was, and this is all Archie. They destroyed a ship that was taking the funds, the casino funds, to the Empire. They destroyed it, and they littered space with dead rebels. To make it seem like the rebels destroyed it, 
when, when in reality it was the Empire. So they were trying to frame the rebels. The guy that's working with the Empire chases Luke and, and company to the the uh, casino, and the owner of the, the the owner of the casino is working both sides of the coin, trying to play each other off. It's it's just it's so much fun, but you would almost never see that something like that with Lucas at the helm, like the the strangle that he had on these characters. After a while, that's what happened to me with with the original Star Wars. It got boring after a while. Once the roadmap was in place and Lucas knew where he wanted to go, the stories were just like stale. There were issues with what Lucas was willing to part with as far as information goes, with, which is why like Jackson and, and some of the other characters may have been created because you weren't going to be able to use um, the bad guys from the uh, the sequels. But I think they did the best of what they could do. But I'm sure they did, but I think it made for a better book because comparing it to the, the, the new Star Wars and, you know, I, I, I love Aaron to death, but the, the new one seems to be, he seems to be trying to push the familiar buttons like that, that installation from, from the first issue. They just so happened to have AT-ATs and judging by the terrain around that place, you don't need an ATAT, and you really don't need a speeder bike. Oh, they have speeder bikes too. You know what I mean? Like he's trying to load the the that that original that first arc with all of the fan favorite devices and 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 instances, and it, it just I'm not saying it's 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 not enjoyable, but it just seems a little bit too convenient. You know what I mean? That the Empire would have all these things at this installation. What? <laughs> yeah, but know. yeah, and it's just like. I I really do not lend too much credence to the the claim that Lucas knew exactly where the story was going from the very beginning because 26 issues in this book and Luke and Leia are sucking face a decent amount of time. I mean, yeah, there's still the, the love triangle there between, you know, Han, Luke and Leia, but they're getting into it, Luke and Leia, uh, sometimes, and it's just damn creepy. Like, you know, oh, you're back. And they're all, they're, you know, they're all over each other. But it's like, what? You know, if he knew, he, he wouldn't have allowed that. So that, that the claims that, that he had it all mapped out, that's BS. On the story front, I said it was Archie Goodwin that was, uh, the MVP visually. And this surprised me because while I am a fan of this guy's work, I never regarded him as one of my, you know, favorite artists, but Carmine Infantino killed it. He did a fantastic job. Um, I, I would put him above Chaikin. Um, wow. Yeah. On Star Wars, not in general. Right, right, right. Uh, but um, one issue that was fantastic, uh, Herb Trimpey. My man. One is- did one issue of uh, Luke and Biggs in Beggar's Canyon. And it's amazing. Putting myself back in that time, it, it's like the guy that drew one of my favorite books, which was Hulk, is drawn Star Wars? What? Uh, looking at it now, it's like a Wayback Machine. It, I, I just, I love this book to death, but, uh, it's, it's wacky. I mean, if, if you threw this book at, at a Star Wars fan who has never been be exposed to any of the comics, they would definitely groove on the first six issues, and after that, they'd be like, I have no idea, you know, who these people are or what's going on here. And that was, that's the part I love about this book. Mm-hmm. So un- so unexpected. Before Dark Horse lost the license at the beginning of the year, I did um, 
I did pick up the long, long time ago omnibuses that uh, collect the Dark Horse published original Marvel run, and it's it's. I think the first volume is on the iPad, just for one of those times where I. We are having uh, a shit ton of technical <laughs> difficulties where Mr. Price is concerned. So Jason and 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 I are going to groove for a little while, and then David, hopefully, uh, at, at tomorrow or tomorrow night, we'll we'll be able to patch something in with David because I know y'all love to to hear David. I do. Well, and through the magic and of it, editing, they'll yes, it'll also you won't even continuous know. episode save for this you, spoiler. You won't even know, uh, because it's not an, an episode of eleven o'clock comics without David. It just doesn't seem right. I can't have it. Eleven o'clock. So, oh. so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna throw some in uh, tomorrow. I so, uh, yeah. Uh, to finish to finish up the Star Wars uh, talk, had a great time with the book. Uh, we'll actively seek out the other the remaining volumes because I done sold off my run of Star Wars a long time ago. And not in a galaxy far away, just a long time ago. So, uh, Jason, what do you got on your mind? Before we leave the Star Wars world, I just want to say that... Um, I was hoping you would. You guys, uh, I think I mentioned in passing when we talked about the first Star Wars issue that I was also reluctant for Darth Vader because of LaRocca. And you, right. you guys chastised me and said it actually looked like better LaRocca than we've seen in a while. Uh-oh. Um. <laughs> I'll just I'll just say I disagree and leave it at that. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Um, but 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 actually, uh, did you, did, Vincent? Did you read Trees at all? I did not. Uh, just the first issue. Okay. So, same here. I read the first issue when it came out, and then I I waited for the trade, and the the, the trade the trade arrived, and it's uh, the first eight issues, so it's a big trade, big hefty trade. It is a an absolutely mystifying book. It is like nothing I've ever read, and I can't say that I I don't know what to make of the book. I I, I there are parts of it that I find intriguing, but in as much as some people, not us generally, but some people criticize um, that every now and then a a, a creator owned book is, is is somewhat of a vanity project. Right. I, I this this feels a lot like a vanity project to me. Um, mm. But in, in all honesty, when Warren Ellis approaches you, or you know, you approach Warren Ellis and hey, how about doing a book for us? You let him do the book for sure, right? For sure, yeah, yeah for sure. And and I don't even know really how to 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 get into it too much in the sense that it it, it feels like he, it's an auspicious endeavor. Uh, it, you read the first issue, so you know that the conceit is that uh, these giant monolithic they call them trees, but they're these humongous columns, uh, structures, col- columnar structures that descend from, from space and, and implant almost like, like, um, like lightning rods throughout the earth. They, they just, they, they, they just land and wherever they land, they just, they, they plant and, 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 and so now all across the earth are these gigantic, stretching all the way up into the clouds, columnar structures that, uh, with these these almost these alien like crop circle markings on them, but uh, they land and of course at first everyone thinks it's an alien invasion, but but now we're introduced to this world ten years later 
So it's been 10 years since these trees, for lack of, that's what they call them, the, the trees, have landed, and, and nothing's happened. No signs of life outside of the columns. The columns exist, the world has adjusted, and essentially, as with all things with humanity, uh, the world's moved on. It's, 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 they're just now part of the landscape, and there are, there are just pockets of civilization that surround these trees, uh, now. And, uh, and, and, and the only thing we know about the trees in terms of them being something other than just structures is that, um, every now and then, one of the trees will essentially almost evacuate sap out of its markings and, and it's essentially this super corrosive green ooze and it'll wipe out lots of life that's near the tree. But other than that, there's really been no, no indications of anything else about these trees and it's kind of driven some people crazy. But that's only a small part of what the book is because essentially the book that th- th- this reality of of these trees is really just a backdrop for Warren Ellis and Jason, Jason Howard right? to to introduce us to different sets of characters. So you've got um, you've got a, a a tree set in the Arctic, and there's a, a, a an Arctic scientific research uh, facility where a bunch of scientists are hold are holed up, and one of the one of the scientists named Marsh, uh, he's for reasons we don't know, he he doesn't want to. Go back. The way this works is they they spend months at a time up in the station, and then they're supposed to be rotated off and sent back to their their regular lives um, when their when their shift is done. Uh, but he never he never leaves. He always comes up with a reason not to leave, and um, it's to the point now where they're essentially going to force him to leave because he's been there for I think eighteen months maybe without taking a break, and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to leave. And he's he's they're all they're studying the tree and, and they're studying the, trying to find some kind of scientific rationale for it. And generally they're, they're having, again, there's nothing, nothing's really come of it for the most part. Uh, but, but suddenly out of nowhere, uh, there are black, uh, flowers growing in, out of the Arctic snow, out of the <laughs> permafrost. And he's a biologist. So he's studying these flowers. But, uh, beyond that, uh, you know, there's a mystery involved and, and uh, it's the only place that we know of, at least on the Earth, where where these flowers are growing next to a tree. It, simultaneously, we're introduced to a young uh, a young Chinese boy, uh, probably around college age, and he is going into um, in China. One of the trees has been literally walled off, aka like the Great Wall of China, and it's enclosed inside of the this 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 area is essentially we come to find out a a uh, a place where Chinese citizens who are, um, I don't want to say abnormal, but who have uh, a, a lifestyle or, or, or have made a lifestyle choice that isn't in line with what the Chinese government considers normal have come right. to live in this tree area. So he's an artist and he's going into this land to experience all of these different things and to be around other creators and artists. But, um, but, but in essence, we, we come to, to find out that he is actually confused sexually and he meets a transgender uh woman i mean her name is yen she she's drawn to be a beautiful woman but she happens to have a dick and he falls in love for with her and so the best we're introduced to 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 him in, in that journey then we also are introduced to a tree in greece where there is a beautiful greek woman who uh essentially is uh beholden to her boyfriend Mainly because he is the leader of a local gang, for lack of a better term, and, and he's a provider. She she doesn't particularly love him, but she's hot, 
and she sleeps with him, and in return she gets uh, safety and money and comfort and a roof over her head. But she's she is uh, introduced to and meets an older, suave Greek gentleman who's clearly lived a very uh, interesting and cultured life, and he starts teaching her about things that she had never thought about before, and he gives her a sense of independence and sets her on a path to essentially... Um, Make a, a gank move, if you will, against her boyfriend and and, <laughs> and against the, the 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 local gang that he runs, and, and and essentially sets her on a course to take that over. Then we're also introduced to New York City, where there's a tree, and 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 there's a man who uh, appears to have lost a good chunk of his friends and family in the initial tree landing in his area, and now he's running for mayor, although his motivations are as yet unclear. So we're, we're, we're in essence, there's these parallel stories of all these different people and their different motivations. And then there's, last but not least, there is a, a, a an odd collection of trees that, that almost form a, a building-like structure. And they're also the shortest trees. So, so they actually don't, don't, they don't reach all the way up into the sky. And so there's this, um, this guy who they say is the leader of Russia, but he's a, as far as I can tell, he's, he's a, a young black dude. That that has an African like a, well, at least what they by by like an, an African name, so they don't they're not clear, we're not yet clear on that is what that means is this the Russia that we know of is is somehow Russia tied in with Africa now whatever but but he is he's essentially running things and and he finds a way to put missile systems on top of this low hanging tree and we find out towards the end of the arc why he he's doing that and what it's for so all these strange things are coalescing and acquiescing around one another. And clearly, Ella seems to be building this big world with all these things, and and yet we're left with just far more questions and answers by the end of it. And I will say that I don't know if it's a disconnect with the art or Ellis's storytelling, but since it is Warren Ellis, I'm going to guess it's more the art. Where I think there's some there's some leaps here that don't quite line up. Um, it, it's it's a struggle at times to to get from point A to point B. I think, at least for me. Mm. Uh, your mileage may vary. So I'm, I'm left impressed by how unique it is. Like I'm not turned off by it in such a way that I'm, I'm saying I don't want to read this, but there were lots of moments where I felt myself in my mind saying, oi vey, or, oh, you know, like kind of sighing, like really? This is a bit of a slog. And then it would almost kind of like Dap's, uh, Dap's audio tonight. Like it, like at points crystal clear and then it would fade in or the other points where I'm like, oh boy, you're losing me here. And then it would come back into, into clarity again. So I, I am intrigued to, 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 to find out what happens next, but I, I would be hard pressed to explain to anybody what the direct appeal is. Like if you like this kind of story, then you would like this. I, I can't make that, that leap yet. And I think it's a fair criticism to ask if you can't describe a book or who it might appeal to after eight issues, is it ultimately a success? Right, it's a risk. It, it's definitely a risk, and I think one of the things that that enable a project like this is the um, cachet of the the author. If if this was written by, you know, um, I don't want to say a lesser, but in terms of popularity or or renown, past achievements, so to say, uh, author, I I don't think it would have even been greenlit. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's 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 definitely a, a asking a lot uh from the reader like i i got the lay of the land early on i i 
have to uh, correct myself. I think I have the first two issues. Okay. And you, and you can tell right off the bat that it's going to be a big story. So I bailed on the singles in favor of the trade, which I didn't get yet. I have a, a very narrow attention span. I, I, if I don't read it in, in one uh, lump, I will not remember what happens month to month mm-hmm. for most, sure. for most, for most books. There's just too much going on in my life and, uh, just to try and get that kind of focus on, on one thing is tough. Um, so yeah, that's why I opted for the, the bulk edition and you know, we'll see what happens when I read that. But yeah, it's, there's, there's just, um, a lot of, a lot of roots coming from these trees huh. and, and I, I couldn't uh, pick up on, on a lot of them. I did remember the transgender. Yeah. Well, right, it, and that's drawn. That that's an interesting scene because the, the 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 young Chinese artist is overwhelmed by this city state that he's walked into, and right. he's walking around, and and every it's one of those things where every every glance, every place he turns, he sees something interesting or lively that he's never seen before, because he's coming from a relatively conservative province, from what we've been told. And as he's walking to his his room at this hostel or hotel or whatever it may be, um, he as he's walking to his room, there's a door cracked open where this where Jen this 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 transgender woman is uh, is standing, and she's drawn to be absolutely gorgeous, and she's got her panties. And then they and then the next panel is they he zooms in and 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 you know there's some junk in the trunk. <laughs> so, yeah. So. You don't forget that too easily, right? You know? and, and he doesn't it's, forget it's, it either. And then you know that's kind of the, the next day she sees him, and she or a week later or whatever she sees him, and, and she 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 says, "Listen, I know you, I know you're wondering. I know you saw something the other day. Yes, I'm a I was you know, I was born a, I'm a woman, but I was born a man. Blah blah blah. So so forth, so on. So, um, like I said, there's a lot of things going on, and uh, and I I don't I don't want to dismiss it out of hand, but the, the, there are plenty of people that don't that would argue that if you have to work this hard after eight issues, is it worth the effort? And I'm not going to say they're wrong. I mean, you're, and I will say this, uh, I think a lot of times, lots of people, ourselves included, often say things like, Oh, it's better in trade. This is something you have to read in, in collected form, uh, the right. issue to issue. You are going to be lost. That's how I was. I, I got the first few issues and I just, I couldn't, like you said, Vince, I, so many different things, so many different characters, so many different places, were happening that I, I couldn't keep track of it, heads or tails of it. So reading it all in one fell swoop made it uh, possible to understand. Although, again, as I've said several times now, even even with reading it all in one fell swoop, I don't know that I fully understand all that's going on. So right, but it begs the question though: would have would this story or these stories have been better served if Ellis did a series of minis right right just just focusing on on um you know the one set of characters and then in the next one do the antarctic thing for four mm-hmm. issues and just break it up um contextually so you the the reader can experience um a nice stretch of of narrative without having to bounce around like i i know i slog on morrison a lot but that's one of the problems i have with morrison he litters his stuff with so many concepts that if you have a, a really good concept or a really good story and it's surrounded by other concepts and other stories, the, 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 the intensity of that really good story is lessened by everything around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and one of the books, for me, a lot of times simple is better because 
I retain the information. The impact of what the, the the creative team was trying to do is is in full effect. Like I love the humans from Image, uh, Keenan Marshall Keller, Tom Neely, uh, but that's a book where what you read is what you get. I mean, there's very little subtext in that book. It's a bunch of simians on motorcycles. I mean, that's it, right? And and they're 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 day to day. They've they've lost a member of of their their club, and this is what happens. Not not a whole lot to wrap your head around, but I retain that kind of information longer and and with with less struggle than when I'm reading a book where there's like twelve different plot threads trailing through the book, and it's like Gravity's Rainbow, you know. You, and you have to you have to latch on to something and keep it for the duration. That's hard to do. So I'm not saying one book is better than the other, but a lot of times I will opt for the simple mm-hmm. and the and the strong and the powerful because it's it's the noise is 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 very low and you're getting that full signal. Sorry, David. Well, I don't to, I don't to, think <laughs> to put it in those terms. I get what you're saying. I I don't think that uh, I can categorize my enjoyment of any particular piece of fiction that way because. Uh, you know, here we just had John Hickman on a few weeks ago and praise him. And he's, he, he goes as complex and deep as you can get sometimes. He, he does. Um, but, I mean, but he pulls it off, right? And, and right, but to your right. other point, but there are other things where the, the, uh, whereas I adored, uh, what two weeks ago I, I raved about Harley Quinn. And that's as simple and straightforward as it gets. Uh, it's right. Deadpool. All surface yeah. level. Right. It's, it's, and, and I love that too. So, so I find, I, I think I can enjoy and do enjoy both complex and simple stories. It's just part of its mood, part of its how well it's executed. And, and again, um, people are probably listening to this thinking, boy, you're spending a lot of time dissecting a book you're telling us might not be worth reading. But I just, I, I do want to convey that I found the book fascinating on that level in that I, uh, it's not a book I can just read and say, no, it's not good. I didn't read it and think, just dismiss it out of hand. Like it's too out there. But I'm not sure. I, I, it is a book I generally hope others have read, at least a few issues, such that I'd be very interested to hear other viewpoints on this one. Um, it, are, are people? Do people agree with me? Do they disagree? Have they enjoyed it more? And do they feel it is more accessible than I'm giving it credit for? Let us know. I, I'd, I'd love right. to ha- have some dis- some di- some uh, discussion on this one. Right, and I'm not dismissing the complex offhand. No, because- I know. I know. Right, you, you know me. My favorite book of all time is Naked Lunch. That's pretty much as complex as it gets. Um, next to maybe Ulysses and 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 Finnegan's. Like I love those are my three favorite books. So it's not the complexity I have issue with. I'm trying I'm trying to get to the root of this because now I got myself thinking. Um, it's it's just that it. I guess it's all in the presentation. Uh, and and every author is different, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. so like like you said, Hickman. Um, for some reason, he, he, his characters are teeming with char- his, his characters. His stories are teeming with characters and concepts, but it never feels unwieldy to me. Like it's, it's not, there, there's a control there, but like multiversity, it's just too much. There's too much going on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to pick out the nuggets. Well, I don't, you and, know, I don't agree with there, multiversity. There are, I, I think right. great, but yeah. I, there are a lot of nuggets. It's just that there's, there's so much gunk. Uh, around them. Gunk in the I, trunk. I, yeah. Did, did I, refresh my memory. Did, did I, I, it's, it's getting sad how old I am that I'm starting to forget these things. Did, oh yeah, you're ancient. Did, did my in your travels, was I, did I talk about Rocket Raccoon? You did. Okay, good. I thought so. I couldn't remember if I did or if I imagined that I had. Okay, never mind. 
Well, you didn't really go deep. No, I don't. I, nor do I need to go deep. I, I just, uh, I, I, I was pretty sure I went on, on to talk about how I caught up to it and everything. But I, I then I thought, wait a minute, maybe I imagine talking about that because I knew that we discussed it. I couldn't remember if we discussed it like in one of our many pre or post discussions or if I actually made it onto the show. Right. So no, it did. Okay. Yeah, last two weeks ago, I believe. Okay. What do you got? You got anything else before we? Do I have anything else? But it was going to be my inner travels. Okay. Um, we can. So we we can pick that up tomorrow with David. So because you will will not be here for the return engagement, why don't you make with your in your travels, and then David and I will pick up the the, the your slack uh-huh. uh, next episode. Perfect. Or next next uh, recording session. So you guys know me better than anybody. You know that uh, in terms of artists today, um, Scalera. You know, Mateo is, is a guy that I, I, I can't say no to when it comes to his original art. And if, if, if you, you may already know the answer to this, but who would you say is the number two artist in my LA collection? Uh, the guy that I own the second most pages from? Albuquerque. Correct, Dap. Look at Dap clearing up just long enough to answer that question. <laughs> yes. So Mr. Albuquerque, uh, who I just find his art, uh, as captivating as anyone in the biz these days, decided to take a stab at being a writer artist. And unlike just about everybody these days, he is deciding to do it not at Image, but at Dark Horse. Yes. So Mr. Albuquerque teamed up with Mr. Mike Johnson on a new science fiction series called Eight. And it's funny because it's uh, the book is eight, E-I, the letter eight, H-T, which I'm imagining is totally coincidental versus seven, the movie seven. <laughs> but it doesn't, it, you don't need to be a cryptographer to realize from looking at the cover that the eight is, uh, a play on words and that the eight is actually a, a, an infinity symbol. So, so anywho, uh, first issue came out last week, I think. And it is, I don't want to suggest that he's breaking a ton of new ground here, but essentially you're introduced to a lead character who is uh, dressed like an astronaut, but he's more like a chrononaut, if you will, in that he's he's being sent back in time. And mm-hmm. he's being sent back in time with a specific mission to find a certain person to do something to them. But as with many good sci-fi romps, something doesn't go right. It looks like he's lost his memory, but written on his arm is this infinity symbol, which again he sees as eight instead of the infinity symbol. And he's 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 trying to communicate with the future, uh, through this sci- you know, sci-fi radio kind of doohickey that allows him to do so. But he's confronted with a group of, of, of Mad Backs Beyond Thunderdome looking folk who shoot an arrow in his leg and take him captive and bring him back to their camp and just all sorts of shenanigans going on. And we quickly get the sense that, um, this, he's either, he's, either this isn't the first time he's gone back in time or more to the point, he's not the only person that's ever gone back in time and ergo the time stream and the realities and all things are all fucked up. There's all kinds of confluence of different eras and, and realities. And, uh, and he finds himself in this place called the meld, which, uh, as you can imagine is a melding of all these different periods of time, inclusive of dinosaurs and the future and flying spaceship. There's all kinds of things going on here. From a story perspective, I think it's a relatively uh, engaging yet sparse first issue. Uh, introduced to the character, introduced to the setting, but but we're not really clear 
on the motivations or what the real hook is beyond what we've been presented with in the first few pages. Uh, but visually, no surprise, Albuquerque just, it looks fantastic and it's a chance for him to draw lots of different things. Uh, so I'm certainly going to stick with this book because I'm giddy at the anticipation of seeing Albuquerque draw dinosaurs and, uh, post-apocalyptic settings and robots and all these things and in, 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 all together. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah. you know, I, so I dug the first issue. Um, I can't say again from a story perspective, I'm not, I wasn't blown away by it. Um, I would say that it's, it's hard not to compare this to, to black science, right? Yeah, you're right. It's, it's similar. Yeah. yeah. And so in that regard, that, that's a pretty high bar to leap over because Remender is, you know, I mean, Albuquerque's not a seasoned writer, whereas, whereas Remender certainly is. So I don't know that the comparison does him any favors in the marketplace per se. Um, but again, it's only the first issue. So I'm going to, I'm going to ride or die with this for at least the first arc. Um, if for nothing else than the art. I have the, the single. And when you take someone with, uh, Albuquerque's considerable, uh, drawing ability, mm-hmm. the, the, the guy is just, I don't have to tell you. He, he is just stupendous. But when you f- mix in a limited palette like this, I mean, it's basically two colors for a lot of the book. You, you get like a melted creamsicle in in a like a bowl of of the the, the bluest teal like teal blue water. It's it's amazing. The colors sing next to each other, yeah. and that's the thing. That's the thing that really worked for me was uh, the you know the the that damn drawing ability uh in tandem with that really limited palette it just showcases the line so much better yeah and and that's a good point vince because the very first page of the book does introduce us almost to it's almost like a um uh, not a table of contents but uh uh a a map of what to expect and that it says the past is green the present the present is purple the future is blue the meld is something else entirely. Right, right. So, yeah. Color-coded. Absolutely. Y- you gotta love that. Mm-hmm. Infographics meet comics. <laughs> this color-coded stuff. I, yeah, he's, I'm thinking this book is gonna take off because it's, it's visually stunning and it, uh, there's a, the very, very few, um, similarities to other stuff, I, I just think they're gonna be disregarded. Mm, okay, sure. Yeah, I think so. Cause, uh, I, I'm not gonna compare it visually to black science, because that would not be fair to either man. Yeah. Cause they're both, they're both, um, monsters. So. And, and I'm looking forward to, uh, these pages going on sale at, uh, Cadence Comic Art. <laughs> you don't have enough. <laughs> Never have enough Albuquerque. Yeah, the, the 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 dark horse news was extremely distressing to me. It did bother but, you more than I'm. I'm I, I guess I mean I, I, I know you love the, those books, I, but but why? Uh, I, I guess I ask why why you bothered just in the sense that it seems like the artists are putting on a good face about it. I mean the creators seem okay they, with it. Well, because they're they're not being curtailed. They they weren't they they're, their stories aren't being killed. They're just giving a chance to to do their thing in the solely in the digital realm it's just it's as a a a paper fetishist i i i like the physical and i i thought these three series um 
were, were some of the best to come along in a long, long, long time as, from Dark Horse. Sure. And, and it makes me wonder, how would they have performed at Image? Uh, it, well, it's just, uh, it, it's for, for right now, there's nowhere to tell, mm-hmm. but it's, it seems like they, they did have that Dark Horse vibe. You could tell. I mean, it was instantly, um, uh, aware that, that they were Dark Horse properties. They read like a Dark Horse book. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering if, if, if that's a detriment. I, I, I don't know what to say in this instance, because I thought they were great. Sundowners especially. I gave it my 11 o'clock for the year. Mm-hmm. I, I, for, for my money, I would take Sundowners over Hackslash in a second. And I love Hackslash. Mm-hmm. So it just, it just boggles my mind how these challenging, creatively vibrant series, they don't catch on. Is it the publisher? Is, well, look, I, I think the, your question about Dark Horse versus Image is a good one. I, I think the one obvious difference about the two places is that uh, the onus on whether or not to keep putting the book out in print at image really falls on the creator yeah. for the most part. They, they have to opt if it's economically viable for them. Whereas, again, I, I unless this, these books were done on a different model than is typical, they were done more traditionally in that Dark Horse paid these guys a page rate to do these books. And, and so then the economics are a little more hardline, right? I mean, then it's kind of a simple equation of we're either making money off this book or we're not. Um, so. Yeah, and if there's, there's one thing of, of which we're, we're aware, Mike Richardson is a businessman. He hasn't survived in the industry for what, 20, uh, 25 years? At least, right? Al- almost, yeah. Uh, just on luck. Right. Uh, he's what, he's well aware what, what, uh, the make it or break it margin and uh you know i i can't cry over this it's just a damn shame mm-hmm. so so there you go so uh good talking to y'all good night to everybody Aww. and i guess uh i can't wait to see vince edit all of this together yeah <laughs> i'll have to actually do some work <laughs> look at you just to not, not put a tail on a, a head on it mm-hmm. all right uh say good night jason Good night, Jason. Uh, well, thanks to the magic of uh, podcasting and uh, audio editing, you don't know. A couple of seconds have elapsed uh, for you, but for us, it's been 24 it's hours. It's been a long 24 hours. Yeah. So Jason is uh, the white gold is out of here. He's probably sleeping or drinking or doing something. And I would hold it again. <laughs> it's just David and myself. Just like it's the bullpen days and we probably won't talk about. Yeah, we will talk about some more. Oh, we will. So we're just going to round out this episode uh, with some more good stuff. Just we don't want to shortchange it because that's not how we do. That is not how we do. You're absolutely. No, no. When you were getting all choppy and and nasty, you were talking about Star Wars. And I don't think they heard what you were saying. I believe you were saying about back in the day when you were buying Star Wars and then you got all jacked up. Yeah. Um. It, from what I remember about the whole Marvel publishing Star Wars comics, they had, like, the first Star Wars movie, Episode Four, was adapted, I think, in, what, like, the first six issues? And then you had... Yes, and it's very, very faithful to the... It is. To, to the movies. Un- uncannily so. 
I, I think it's the most faithful Marvel adaptation ever. The first? The, the, really? The, yeah, the first six issues, the, the dialogue is almost verbatim I, in a lot, a lot of spots. I don't know. I, it was. And, and then before issue 50, somewhere in the thirties, I think they, they adapted Empire Strikes Back. But Return of the Jedi was its own four-issue miniseries. Right. Well, by then it was tough because they were they were winding down by that point, right? It was. That... It may have been around. It was. No, it was. It was. It was before the hundreds, I think. Oh, okay. Well, before we move on, I gotta say, just I want to talk a little, just a tad about Chaykin. You could tell Howard was enjoying himself, uh-huh. but uh, nowhere more so than Princess Leia. Howard enjoyed drawing Princess Leia mm. because there's that pinup, I believe, in issue five or six. It's a it's a one page pinup of uh, the the you know our heroes and the dudes are all standing up and you know you could tell Howard just you know throwing it down, uh, getting it done. It's not a bad drawing, but when he gets to Leia, she's sitting on the ground with her legs like spread. I'm trying to find the damn thing. And I can't, uh, I don't seem to, to it's got to be an issue, uh, it's, there it is, there it is. It's a Star Wars pinup special. You got Han and Chewie and, and Luke, drawn okay. But then Leia is on the ground and she's Indian style, but she's more spread than Indian style. And uh, you could tell that Howard was just like loving drawing her breasts through the whole thing. Well, it's, it's Howard Chaykin and ladies, go figure, right? <laughs> But man, did he devote a lot of attention to, to Leia. Um, Chewie goes from looking like a Sasquatch to a teddy bear. Yeah. yeah I mean, he, he shifted. You could tell that Howard really didn't have a lockdown on Chewie, but, uh, not a bad job. But like I said, when, um, and, uh, Rick Holberg and Bill Ray on issue six, wow, did they do an awesome job inking him. It it doesn't even look like shaking. That's how that's how heavy handed they were with the inks. See, man, but I, oh, you're um, I I need to finish what I'm reading so I can get to to these books. I have I I, I have them all. But when when Dark Horse was losing the license at the, at the end of the year and at the beginning of the year, I, I snatched them up from Dark Horse because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if Marvel was going to like recolor them, remaster them. I didn't know when they'd be coming out. I didn't know if they were going to do a digital. I know that they're right. coming out with the hardcover, but um, and they have started, but I the deal was too good to pass up. But they're sitting underneath the Hellboys in the digital Dark Horse library that I'm dying to get to, and and you're just you're psyching me up for it. Good, you know Tom Palmer did a stretch of it. He did, right? He did. Yeah, I think four. And then when Carmine comes on, Terry Austin inks him. Now that's a pairing you don't see too often. Oh, it's amazing. Like I said, um, I, I don't know how much work Terry had to do. Like if, if Carmine just kicked out, you know, rough pencils, but judging by the facial features, he put in his time because it looks like Carmine. Right. You know, yeah. you, you we're all a, we're aware of what Terry Austin looks like when he really has to do a lot of work on the pencils. Like you could tell it it shifts drastically from the style of the person over which he's he's embellishing, yes. but this this looks like Carmine. Um a very very detailed Carmine. So it's probably 60/40. I, I I don't remember like when Carmine was on the Flash, I don't remember it this detailed. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh yeah, yeah, no. You're right. You're yeah. right. Like there there's the that that ship 
uh, on Doom World. It's, it's just basically, it looks like a pirate ship with, um, because it's, it's on the sea and you get, you know, the, the dampness and the, the salt and there's like, there's gunk hanging from the masts and everything and there's all villages built into the masts. It's super detailed and it's a level of detail that I don't remember ever seeing from Carmine. But again, I'm not, you know, the most experienced in Mr. Infantino. I have, my, I, I've read his stuff in the past, but like I didn't follow him on everything he ever did. So, so you talk about Star Wars now. I'm sick of it. <laughs> sick of it. <laughs> right? Um, we, uh, let's see. I, um, I, I bought a good stretch, um, probably around the, the fifties and on. Um, I read a lot of the early stuff in, through back issues or, or, um, catching up, but I wasn't buying those earlier issues, um, off the stands, but they, Lucas didn't really have the, uh, I guess the, the staff back then to, um, no. you know, as far as continuity and making sure everything, you know, so when, when you talk about the ships not having back panels and a lot of detail, um, it, it's probably because the folks at Lucas or the woman at Lucas was, was a little overworked and, uh, with, with not just the comics, but with everything else that was, um, coming in and, uh, and needed to be approved. Um, right. It, but they obviously gave them enough to flesh out, you know, front versions of the ship. Oh, well, like, yeah. You, you, yes. If you don't have reference for the Falcon, people are going to know. Absolutely. And, and right. the, um, and I don't know too many, I don't know if, if, if the selling, if, if people were buying Star Wars for the ships or if they were just trying to get more stories. <laughs> right. Featuring these characters that they saw for a couple hours in one movie. And, you know, I... From from what I remember, these books, the initial six sold pretty well. Yeah, cause that, because that's... Didn't they do, do a... Um, didn't they double up on a couple issues and do like a, a, a tabloid size or a treasury? They did, yeah, they did a treasury edition for... Um, I think there were two of them. Like one treasury edition had three, one to three, and, and the next one had four to six. Okay. If, if memory serves, because I remember having two treasury sized uh, Star Wars issues. I wish they would do the treasuries again, but they would probably be like 15 bucks yeah. a pop. I had the treasury for G.I. Joe number one. Yeah. And that was pretty favorite. damn faithful. Oh yeah. Well, it's trimpy. Well yeah, I just mean like how, how blown up it was and, and how it was pretty much just a giant exact replica of, of that first issue. Cause even that first issue was thick. I mean, yeah. the, the non treasury edition. The, the one thing about the treasury editions that, that you got a, a kind of an insight into the process at Marvel, being a Spider-Man junkie, I would always buy the Spider-Man treasury editions, even if I had the issues that appeared within. Of course. Because, because it's Spider-Man, right? And I remember, um, looking at the art, it was Ross Andrew, um, and I believe it's the double page splash where the Grizzly has Spider-Man by the ankle. And he's banging him against the walls. Remember that issue when he's just swinging him around and cracking him against the walls? And I'm thinking, man, this looks kind of blurry. <laughs> it's not the, the lines aren't as clear as the the other pages. You know what Ross Andrew used to do for the double sp- splashes? He used to do them um, 50%, and they would blow it up. No shit. Oh, yeah, to save to save time on the uh, d- drawing, they would double up just to fill the two pages. So he would do them half size. Right. Wouldn't have to cover a whole lot of area, you know, especially with the inking, right? And then when they, when they printed it, they, they statted it, uh, double, double size. 
And you can tell in the treasuries. I mean, it's a, you can't, you, it's kind of sorta uh, apparent in the comics. It's not, not as clear as the other pages, but when, when it's treasury sized that big, you're just like, ah, I get it now. And I didn't know that back then as a kid. I just thought, wow, this is kind of blurry, but I, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know if any other Marvel artists did that. We should investigate we should. that. That would be fun to, to, to find out. It's kind of a cool plan though. I would think that. With with the the original art we've been diving into, that we probably would have seen that more often we, by now. You mean you mean you and Jason? Uh no, you've been you've been <laughs> you've been dipping your toe. Don't even. Yeah, but there's a book today that I read that I would love to get a page from, but homies' pockets are not that deep. Well, we don't know. We don't know what oh, Mister Rivera is 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 selling. We know, but um, should I? Yeah, be, don't even. Be, being a bullpen bulletin's episode, should I um? Should I talk about what I was going to talk about, what I've been hinting at that would piss you off, or should I save that for when Jason's here? No, I think it's a good day to piss me off. No, I don't want to piss you off. I don't even, I don't even, I don't even know if you will. I probably won't. Um, because you'll be happy that I reread it for the first time in, in a few years, many years actually. DK2, and you loved it this time. You're hilarious. Let's get carried away. Um, no, this was something that, that I figured, you know what, I, behind the scenes, Jason was asking, you know, about topics and stuff. And and I was, I was thinking about, you know, revisiting, um, like rose colored revisits and and things that you loved. And and here it is decades later. And you're like, wow, I don't, you know, it just, not that it's dated, just that it doesn't look as sharp. And I, (laughs) you're not going to say earth X, are you? No, no. Oh, okay. Because I remember you reread. Oh, no, I, I. Or you were thinking about. To, yes, that that's something yeah. I want to. I I want to do a a book club on on EarthX because I I want to I want to get a kick in the ass and and read that. Um, these were uh, these were originally published in um, in 1990 1991. Uh, it was <laughs> man, I so wanted to. Look at this with, um, with just no, I didn't want to have any preconceived notions. I wanted to be like, you know, I'm just, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to let it stand on its own. I'm going to see if I can enjoy this without nitpicking or, or, or focusing on anything that might be negative. I just want to read it and, and, and judge it on its own merits. And it's not easy to because you're killing me. Just tell me what it is. It does, <laughs> uh, for <laughs> Todd McFarland is not a very good writer. Hey, now, n- wait a minute. You maybe you will piss me off this week. <laughs> did you did, did you read? Torment? I reread Torment. Oh, exactly. Boy, they named that correctly. They really did. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. my God! It this this is the this is a first print thing from January 1992. Spider-Man Torment originally published in Spider-Man numbers one through five, and there's a backup story featuring the Prowler from Spectacular Spider-Man Annual number ten. Um, you know, it has a forward by Mister uh, Jim Salakrup, and it does explain a lot. Um, <sighs> Todd was so young. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And, and, and there are, he, he wanted, according to the forward, Todd wanted a challenge. He, he wanted to, he was, he, whether he was tired of Spider-Man or he wanted to move on, he wanted to write something. So he was like, listen, give me something to write. And Jim being 
an editor and 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 overseeing the Spider-Man corner of the Marvel Universe, needing um wanting to put more Spider-Man products out there for people to to consume, he figured I'm going to just I'm going to let Todd write because when Todd redid, reimagined, tweaked Spidey's look, um as as much as it was hard for Salakrup to to um go along with the change he had the entire line he had whether it was sal or whoever was drawing the spider-man books had to conform to todd's vision of it and you can you imagine that going to sal basima and saying hey sal do it like doing doing it like the kids doing it and he's like what dude i'm sal basima i've been drawing these things forever and you're telling me to change my style it is kids style um this also the Spider-Man, the adjective of Spider-Man book was created because they were trying to, and this kind of hurts a little bit. They, instead of the, the stories that have been going on forever, you, you have stories from Fantastic Four or Thor or Spider-Man that, that have just been going on for years and years with like no end in sight, Chris Claremont, that he wanted, he, Salakrip was like, we're going to start telling stories that we can then package in collections and trade paperbacks and sell to the bookstores. So vision, if, that's what that is. Vision. God has a five issue story that should be a five issue story that he wants to tell. We're going to give him this book, this platform. This is how we did this. These are the stories that we're going to get. And then, you know, obviously Todd left and you had Eric Larson fill in and, and, and you had other people tell their story, their Spider-Man stories in this book because it wasn't, it wasn't bogged down with the continuity of amazing or spectacular. Um, it was the Spider-Man legends of the dark Knight. Yes. It, yeah. Um, Todd wanted to use the green goblin. There were, there were, they were villains that Todd wanted to use in his story. And, and Salak was like, no, because they're being used elsewhere. You, even though it's Todd McFarlane and this is a new, not necessarily, in continuity as far as what's going on with the other Spidey books, um, there's still rules and, and, and kudos to, to Jim for making sure that, you know, just because he's Todd, he still has to, you know, this is still a, a, a corporate IP. This is, this isn't Todd's property. So I appreciate, you know, Todd having to still work within those parameters. Um, the credits are screwy because when you read each, each chapter, you know, and it's Torment Part One, Torment Part Two. It, um, you have, uh, artist, writer, Todd McFarlane. And it is obvious that the art comes first in this story. I will concede that point. Because this is, this is a very padded out story. This does not need to be five issues. Even when you, even when you cut to Mary Jane coming home from a nightclub and then going back out to another nightclub because Peter's not home yet. This all takes place over the course of like a day. <laughs> or at night, but you have, and, and Todd does some pretty creative things. It's like, you know, he watched some movies and he, he, he's read other comics and he's like, okay, I'm going to have the lizard's hand on this panel dripping blood, but then the next panel is going to be Mary Jane's hand in, with Shirley Temple dripping from it or something. And, and it's like, it, it's clever where you have that, that, that little, Fade in, fade out. It's the same type of image and a silhouette. It's just a different person's hand. It's, it's all, it's neat, but he, it's like all on the same page or it, there's no, there's no clean cut from one scene to the next. And right. We were essentially paying 
to to for Todd to learn how to write. And we were paying Absolutely. for it. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I have no problem with that. You know, this is this is a very young writer and and he you got to cut your teeth somewhere and and that's you know what and and you have a Spider-Man story you want to tell? Go for it. You know, he brought he brought Craven back. Well, in quotes, I'll say, we we were introduced to the witch, and I don't know if we've ever seen the witch again. We got we got the witches over so. in over the course yeah. of two pages. Um, the lizard, the 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 non-speaking lizard, Doctor Kurt Connors was 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 the bad guy who had poison. I mean, there's so many. That's a kick-ass lizard. There, yeah, there's some where he kind of looks a little bit like. Like a uh, like a mastiff, but overall, he's. Uh, I'm I'm just I'm I have it right in front of me, dude. There's somewhere where it's like his nostril, and it's it's almost like a um it's free expression. It's 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 a Matt Groening drawing. It, it's 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 a bunnies in hell because it's like he's his eyes are on the same side. It's Picasso, and it's just. But it's that's just Tom stretching the art form. He's he's, he's testing the limits of what you know, and he and he blazed new trails. So what can I say? What can you say? Uh, uh, there are little things, little nitpicky things that that really wouldn't fly these days. Where um, the color of Peter's caption boxes as he's thinking, um, there it's one box on top of another and they're colored yellow. But when the story is being told, and this is, this is the part that gets you. Wait, wait, where is it? Um, his name, Spider-Man, his powers, extraordinary, his web line, advantageous. And they're just little things like that. that, that that's a Marvel staple though. And, and there's Marvel Wolfman used to do that all the time. There are absolutely, there are things about it. Like when, when, when they keep referencing our hero, our hero, this has, it has it has an old school story feel to it, sure. But it's it it's it hurts a little bit when you because <laughs> you're using those those tropes, but visually it doesn't match up. So it's it's a little bit of a it's it's crazy. And and uh, the big scenes that they move fast. Like I said, though, it, it's drawn out. There really is no resolution because after the church blows up. Um, the witch is nowhere to be found. The lizard is nowhere to be found. Uh, Peter manages to come home and, um, and, and that's the end, you know, so we don't, it's, it's not a, um, it doesn't end with, well, I mean, the good guy wins because he makes it home. Um, and, and this was, this was great. This was, even though he's poisoned throughout most of the book, throughout, um, for, for three and a half, Maybe four issues. Spider-Man is poisoned. The poison that was on the tips of the lizard's claws were, were, were in Peter's bloodstream. Um, and that should have killed a normal man. The witch is just going batshit crazy because she can't understand why this, why this spider isn't dead. There's, there's, there's so much poison flowing through his veins. But all Todd tells us at the end of the book is that the spider bite, the, what gave him his powers is what kept him alive this night. And, and, and that's it. And, and that, that makes total that's sense. A, so, you know, midichlorians. So you have, you, there are just, you know, the whole, the drums and the doom. I mean, I, I was, oh, I was yeah. so, you are so lucky. I did not Instagram the crazy, almost ridiculous shit that I've been reading in this book. It's just, I, I have, I, I have them on my phone. I will be, 
sending out images of of Peter screaming because the the drums are pounding his head, and and the spider sense is just going bonkers and haywire. And uh, you know, there's I think I think we need more of this why not kind of thinking in, in comics these days. Yeah, it's ridiculous in, in in a lot of spots because it it can be, and it's totally appropriate for comics. Comics should be crazy. Yes, they should be. Right. It's the, 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 uh, you know, raping, um, the, the wives of, of superheroes on, on satellites. That's not what I want to read in comics. No. I'm not, you know, not to point fingers, but that, that is a notable event. Well, yeah, that, where, where comics took a turn. And that's not, it's, it, it's just nuts. The, the, the crap that, that Todd threw in there just because he could and because he didn't know any better on a lot of spots. He was just trying to be a writer. And for a lot of years, even when he made the jump to spawn, Todd still wasn't a writer. No, yeah, absolutely. I, I will yeah. agree with that. Yeah. There, um, I think one of my biggest peeves with this is even the flashback to the, to, to Peter's origin when he was bitten by the spider and, and he let the crook go. Um, that was not drawn in a Ditko style. It was not, it, it was, it was the Spider-Man mask with the big eyes and the small tight webs on the costume. And any other time we see Spidey's origin, even if you're using Todd's modern day version, the flashback is always the Ditko Spidey. Right. Is that the only time we've ever seen pupils in the, in the spider eyes? Like, you know, you know, the yes, one, the one it, panel. From Amazing 15. Yes. I mean, yeah it, yeah, it doesn't appear in this book, surprisingly, but whether it was in like learning to crawl, the dance slot, Ramon Perez retelling there. Yeah. That, that is pretty much the only time I, I have ever seen pupils on, on Spider-Man's mask. It, it should be the only time. The conversation between Peter and MJ. It, I mean, a lot of it is she's, she's so worried about her man. And, and that was the other thing in the forward. Salakrit mentions how, um, Todd, I guess, wanted Mary Jane to, to stay home and worry. And, and, and he's like, Mary Jane goes out. She doesn't, you know, cause well, she's a bitch, but she doesn't, she doesn't worry about her man at all. She's and, a hoe. She's and looking for somebody. She's dead, that's it. I need, to, I need, to, I need, I need warmth. I need to hug up on somebody. I need, to, I need <laughs> so, um, you know, I, <laughs> If, if, if it's available on Comixology for sale, if you want to just, I mean, if you're a Todd fan and you want to see, cause this, this is crazy. This is even, I mean, after he worked on Amazing Spider-Man for a couple of years. So this, this isn't like this is Todd's first Spider-Man work or his even early, early stuff because you had Coyote, you had Infinity Inc., you had a lot of Todd stuff. You had Detective Comics before he got to Marvel and did Incredible Hulk and then Amazing Spider-Man. But, there are pages here, there are panels here that feel like it's just even earlier than his Amazing Spider-Man stuff. But it was all just, you know, whether it was the pressure of of writing, and I'm going to do air quotes with the writing, but if it it, it was, this is it, it's it's Todd's Marvel tryout book for a Spider-Man story. Right, but he was he was Todd McFarlane. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. This, this is this is this is the book that had the multiple cover first issue printings and you got that right they, the, the, they made this book for the him. retailer incentive with the with the gold and the platinum and i mean this was yep this was the biggest thing marvel has put, had put out until then did i ever tell you the story about um i had which one was the rare one was it the silver webs the the black cover with the silver webs one one of the first issues of of the first issue of todd mcfarland's spider-man the eponymous spider-man right. 
it was poly bagged and it was rare. Yep. And um, I was getting homebox hooked up one day at the house. So the the cable guy came in and you know uh, he's looking through the the place. And he's like, oh, you you uh you buy comic books? And I'm like, yeah, I love comic books, dude. He goes, man, I've been trying to get that um, Spider-Man issue for a while. And I said, I have two of them. <laughs> so I got Homebox and Cinemax. <laughs> Cinemax. For, for free, baby. <laughs> I you. gave him that issue. He he climbed up on that pole. But a bing, I got him. Yep. He no longer works for the, the, the company. So I, I'm, I'm not upset telling the story. But um, two things. One, this is just between you and me. Not really, but let's pretend. <laughs> okay. uh, Eric Larson's what was it? The Return of the Sinister Six, yeah. the one with the one with Deathlock, yeah. can hold its own against anything Todd McFarlane has drawn for Spider-Man. Okay, do you agree with that? I need to read it. All right. Um, and two, yeah, I, I I have to grudgingly admit to you that Todd is not the best writer in the world, but. There's a combination of something really unique going on with Todd McFarlane. It's it's the the personality, the enthusiasm. There is the enthusiasm. The the, the drawing style, and say what you will about Spawn, one of my all time favorite books. Love it to this day, even though there's been some turbulence lately. But love it to this day. There is something about his work in Spawn. A combination of all those things. Todd tapped into something. It, it may have been dumb luck. It may have just been his uh, unwillingness to fail. Todd, you know, Todd's a very proud dude. He he's, he would not go down. Um, and I just I just think the guy has this magic on Spawn that it's just like holy crap. It, it this is not written very well. But you um, and 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 there are parts of the drawings, uh, parts of the you know his tenure as the the the, the penciler on Spawn. There are some panels that are just like. Todd, what are you doing? But when it, the cumulative effect of Spawn, it, you can't duplicate it. It's just it's amazing and and unique, and the, there's it's infused with this energy that is Todd. You 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 just you can't separate it, and you can't really say it's bad. He the book is just reached its two hundredth and two hundred fiftieth issue. He had to connect with someone to last this long. Yeah. You know, it's it, it spawn is magic, and I don't think Todd gets enough credit. It's like, oh yeah, he's Todd McFarlane. That's the guy that revolutionized Spider-Man. But look at Spawn. That book is really, really special. Those early issues, and then when Capullo comes out, yeah. J JC and the Apostles. My God, it's 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 amazing. And yeah, it's it's lowbrow entertainment. It's it it's not Alan Moore. You know, uh, but. There's there's an there's a thing about Spawn that really can't be duplicated without that TMC quantity. He's the guy is 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 uh, I, I'll go as far as to say he's a genius. He in, in, in spite of himself, you know the there are no shortcuts. I mean, yeah, the Spider-Man costume is is crazy because I mean, never mind the fact that that Spidey is in all these different positions, but I mean, he's got webs out each. There are webs all over the costume, but then you go crazy with the actual web line. But every panel has a background. There are, you know, I mean, the witch has all her hair accessories. I mean, it's just, there's glass yeah. breaking all over the place. There's explosions and. Uh, he put the tie. He in. absolutely, yeah, no, he does, he, he busts his ass drawing it and, and it's, 
it's they should have had a contest back in the day. Sorry to interrupt you. Who has more hair follicles? Todd McFarlane's Mary Jane or George Perez's Scarlet Witch? <laughs> or no, Starfire. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I remember Perez on that uh, Busick oh, Avengers yes, run. Yes, yes, You, you look Perez, at Wanda oh and it's just God, like, yeah. George, how long did it take you to draw that head? <laughs> Auburn curls on top of Auburn curls. But this, um, no, I, this, this is going to go back on the shelf. I mean, this was $12.95 back in 1995. It, it's a, <laughs> uh, it's the old, Graffitied Marvel Comics logo. Uh, it, it'll go back on the. Sh- I'm not. This is something makes, I'm gonna part with anytime soon. It's. Uh, it makes me. It pleases me that you actually have a paper version of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I. I had the issues. I bought this. I, obviously, when it came out, I. Uh, yeah, this is going right back on the shelf next to the uh, still polybagged Harbinger trade paperback. So I have that too. Yeah, I have never ever been able to part with a, an issue of Spider Man. Regardless of, of series, crazy. Web, Peter Parker, I, I will never ever sell Spider-Man. I could be penniless and, and I would never part with it. You know, one of my, I should, I need to dig this up. One of my favorite fun Spidey stories is, um, the, uh, the sidekick's revenge, Round Robin. Oh yeah, Round Robin's great. Yeah. They had in Bagley. They had they had some fun, you know, because it was it was the summer months and it was the biweekly events and they they were doing six issues over the course of three months and and they needed a story. That was their fifth week event practically, but it was just some fun stuff. Yeah, I love Nova. So if you throw Nova into yeah. the mix in a, in, a, in a Spider-Man book, oh, I'm I'm so there. But yeah, and I'm looking at this and there's obviously you know you can you definitely see. Where, uh, Stephen Platt was influenced. Um, there's mm-hmm. just, you know, he, he touched, uh, I mean, and there, again, you know, it's, it's young Todd. I mean, the eyes are a little wonky, especially, I mean, she's got the Shannon Doherty thing going on. There, there are some things where it's like, you know, <laughs> you, you, you wonder if, if people were just overworked, if, that, cause it's, it's more than just the style. It's, it's, some of it is just, is sloppy and, and, perspective is off and but you know it when when you're a kid and reading it because that's who that's who was buying the todd stuff it 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 didn't no one no one was reading it to look at mary jane's eyes so it's 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 true it's it's cool but you know when you when when you're dissecting and you're looking for things to excuse me to bitch about then then it's apparent but it's right but it's just good old-fashioned comic book fun it's spider-man it's that even it was a very um critical time for comics because not long after that they a good number of them stopped being fun mm-hmm. you know and and you could argue yeah that was uh you can blame Todd McFarlane or you can congratulate him cuz he's got ticks in both columns as far as i'm concerned but for me man he's up there I just love to do You do. We get him on here, man. I'll pull a Chris Farley like you would not believe. I wouldn't be able to ask him a coherent question. That I believe. I wouldn't. But anyway, should we do uh, the In Your Travels? Because I think we, we may be pushing it here as term, in terms of length. I don't remember what the, the first chunk is, but I know it's over an hour. It is over an hour. Yeah, yeah. You want to do our In Your Travels? We can, actually. What am I going to do? Uh, do you want to... Or do you want to um do you want to talk about that third issue? 
Yes, I do. Okay. That was, that was going to be my in your trap. Oh, was it? All right. Okay. I have something else. Let's do it. What the hell? We don't have to worry about time. I mean, we do, but screw it. We have a long episode. We have a long episode. I don't care. Yes, you don't care. I know. Yes. I read The Valiant number three today. I read it yesterday. (laughs) Written by two powerhouses, Jeff Lemire, Matt Kent, drawn by a man I consider pretty much the best of the best today, uh, Paulo Rivera. Good God. It's, uh, with Joe Rivera. Um, is that a relation? I believe it is. Okay. Uh, Dave Lanfear, uh, did the letters. Uh, I guess Paulo's doing the color as well because there's no credit to a colorist in this thing. So more, uh, props to Paulo. Uh, in a nutshell, Bloodshot is protecting the Geomancer. And, and they are off on their own. While the assembled might of all of the heroes in the Valiant Universe. Now, consider what I'm saying here. Exo Manowar, Quantum and Woody, Archer and Armstrong, uh, Punk Mambo's even in here, Ninjak, uh, Ginger is, is levitating over the entire battle. See, Unity's in here. The, all of the, uh, Dr. Mirage and, uh, wow, I did, I just noticed this. Did, did the, the Dr. Mirage miniseries finish? I think it did. Yes. Okay, yes. so that's not, that's not a spoiler. No, you, um, you didn't spoil it, but yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty much, I mean, the issue I think was like two days old. Not even two hours old, and and I think somebody in one of the Valiant groups that was, mentioned that it. Was, no, that was me when I. No, when I, I saw I, your I saw your post, but it's not you shared. It's not like you went out and blurting about it. Right, right, right. So it, even even the hardcores in here, Unity. I think I said Unity. Um, they're all oh. face facing off against the um, Mr. Immortal, the, the immortal enemy. Yeah. And you, you, we've been on the subject of original art lately because Jason and David buy their fresh air. <laughs> the Jason, Lies. I, I would love to own the second page of this book. It's, it's the there's, it's only two panels. Uh, one is very small at the top, and the rest is basically a full page uh, splash. Uh, Mister Flay's face split down the middle. Mister Flay is um, a character from a story. That Kay, the, the geomancer, uh, read when she was a child and it scared the crap out of her. So the immortal enemy takes the, the guise of this character just to play with her mind. Cause that's what the immortal enemy does. His, his powers, its powers are, are psychic based. Um, and, but, uh, the, the page is really a revelation of the immortal enemy as he really looks and, oh my goodness. Is that not a gorgeous drawing? It really is, dude. I want that page, but like I said, I, whatever, that, that would be at least eight bills, I think. But, uh, so that's basically this issue. While the, the, the might of the Valiant Universe tries in vain to bring down the immortal enemy, Bloodshot and the Geomancer hole up in a mall. He's hiding her from the, uh, immortal enemy because that's what he does. He destroys Geomancers. And after he does so, the earth is plummeted into a dark age. Uh, the the eternal warrior has been bested by this creature for millennia. He just can't seem to beat him. But this time he's got backup. Ooh, we're gonna do good. We're gonna get the immortal enemy. Doesn't turn out that way. No, uh, they basically lose. They they face off and they lose. 
um, much to the chagrin of, of um, Neville, uh, Alcott, and um, Colonel Capshaw. Both sides of the the the, sea, the, the ocean there. You got the MI6 and uh, Capshaw is the head of what is it? Gate. What does Gate stand for? Uh, Global Agency for Threat uh, Excision. Yes, <laughs> I got it. Um, but the, the, it's it's a really touching issue, gigantic battle notwithstanding, because um, K and Bloodshot they kind of find a common ground. They they they. She touches him literally and does something to him with the nanites in his blood that has yet to play out. Uh, I, I, I can't get enough of this book. I thought it was magnificent. The dialogue, uh, and if you read the, um, the uh, creator's commentary in the back, uh, because Lemire is going to be doing Bloodshot Reborn, he, it was decided between, uh, he and Kent that he should handle the Bloodshot sections and Kent do everything else. In, uh, in this issue, um, and the, there, there's actually um, two uh, two tones, two emotional states going through this issue. One is very chaotic, exciting. It's a gigantic battle, and then you have this low key, um, basically a discussion, an extended discussion between Bloodshot and 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 K, and that's really slyly done, very cleverly done. They're going through the mall. I and to be honest. Uh, I will readily admit I did not notice what was going on until I saw it in the uh, director's commentary in the back of the book. Um, because these two characters can never, because of the circumstances in which they're in, they could never have a relationship, like a lasting relationship. But they do, of sorts, as they're walking through this mall. Like, they walk through housewares... Yeah. And then they walk through a, 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 a baby section and then, a, you know, then she sees the toys. Like there's all of the stages, um, of, of a relationship. Like they, there, there's, um, a furniture section. So they're walking through that. Like you buy furniture for, like there's a kitchen, uh, houseware. Yeah, so and yeah, and they, they have this entire relationship in the background, like as it would progress in the real world, courtship. Marriage, buying a house, furnishing the house, having a child, and then and it's really smartly done. I did not notice it. Did you? I did not. Yeah, I, these I'm, guys really clever. It, it's just I'm caught up in Rivera's work, and I, they show up at the mall. She she mentions oh, the dead. There's there's <laughs> yeah, Dawn of, what what is Dawn of the Dead? It's a movie. I don't, I don't watch, watch movies. movies. Uh, I'm surprised. You know, and, and I'm just, I'm caught up in the moment. And, and yes, I, it's a shame that I did not notice the background and, and where the characters were taking us just because I'm, I'm so into their conversation. And I'm also worried about what our heroes are facing outside back at, at the battlefield. And it's, 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 it was easy to overlook, but once it's explained to you, you smack yourself because you can't believe you missed it. Yeah. The, the battle to get to the, the, the real action packed part, the, the battle is, is insane, literally insane because the, the adversary, uh, manages to touch his, touch all their minds. And when you see what happens or what all the characters think is happening to them, it, it's insane. Like, uh, Exo's, uh, dead wife confronts him and that just freaks his ass out. The goat is gigantic. With, with blood dripping from its eyes and it's chomping down on, on Quantum and Woody. 
but the one that really made me laugh out loud was um, Armstrong. Oh God! He, he, he's a giant head with with arms and legs, and he's can't stop vomiting. <laughs> it's like that scene in uh, Family Guy when they when they get the Ipecac because he had the yes, the, the, yes. the tab at the. It's 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 throwing up is funny to me. I don't know why. It's like people tripping and falling. You can't help but laugh. And and Armstrong spends the, the majority of the battle just vomiting. <laughs> it's just, it's hysterical. I don't get what's happening to Ginger though. Is it just falling? Uh, let's see. It it looks like it's tipping over. Yeah. But I don't I don't get why that would be so traumatic. Maybe because it can't get up. That could be. I don't know. Um and um. Uh, Zephyrs, uh, confronts her dead parents. Like yeah. all your fear, all your fears manifest on the battlefield. And, um, what's going on with Punk Mambo? Is she turning into a voodoo doll? And that is and, what it and, looks like. Yeah. Piercing, piercing herself. herself. Yeah. And then that's why I hunched over and, uh, it's bizarre, isn't it? It is nuts. Cause poor, poor <laughs> Archer. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Good old squeaky clean Archer <laughs> has. Has a pentagram on his shirt. And he's beat, <laughs> and Baphomet at first uh, comes after him, and then uh, he looks at, in the one uh, splash. He's being uh, squeezed by the serpent from the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Good time. <laughs> really, money in the bank, right? Nah, and uh, the 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 one thing. I mean, Rivera excels at everything. Uh, uh, backgrounds, uh, character design, um, just beautiful line work, uh, composition. But I think the thing I love the most about him is he has that ability like Kevin McGuire, uh, to really eke the most out of the facial features of his characters. Uh, especially Kay. When, when she's talking to Bloodshot, she, her, her emotions go from, you know, bemused, to um, nonplussed, to aggravated, to pissed off. Um, the 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 like she's almost ecstatic when she takes a bite out of that beef jerky. Yeah, look at the face. It's that that's like that's pure pleasure. And it's, <laughs> she's like, oh, that is going. <laughs> and then and then on the same page, you look at her when she says, "Fine, point yeah, taken." Like mad. she's pissed yeah. off. She is mad. Well, because it, it got thrown back at her. She, well, she's yeah. asking him 101 questions. He says, well, you know, explain what a geomancer is. And she's fine. She's, she's yeah, he draws her. Fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, I am, I'm not surprised at the quality of this miniseries, but it, it has never left, um, the forefront of my mind since it has come out. It's, it's a really special book. It is. It absolutely yeah. is. I would hope that they will collect it into a hardcover and not just a regular trade paperback. Cause I think the work merits, uh, deluxe treatment. If they, if they bestowed the deluxe treatment to the singles, they should do so for the collected edition as well. Can't yeah, argue with that. Yeah, you're right. It's got the cardstock covers. It's got, uh, there, there's not, uh, the, uh, amount of ads that we encounter in the back of some valiant books they always have the company uh speak in the back you know here's what's coming up here's some pages there's an editorial page in there this doesn't have any of that i don't think right 
no, I think it has. I just want to. I just want to ch- uh, cover my tracks. The, um, no, it has a director's commentary, and then that's it. Yeah. Then it blacks out. Yeah. What, was, yeah. what did I read? Oh, I, was, I think I was reading ride number five, where it had a. Um, yeah, and it just has. Yeah, it's got the credits, and then it, and the, the next issue cover. Front and back, the inside back cover and the back cover have black on black printing. Yes. That is classy. And the uh, inside front cover is uh, Galad, and the inside back cover is uh, she. She uh, gonna steal some nanites. Oh yeah. Yep. Great stuff. Um, what was I just about to say? Something. Must it must have been a lie? Oh yes, I remember. I the it's only been three issues, and it was only a four issue miniseries, but it's. Pretty amazing the ground they covered. This could have been like a, they could have stretched this out to a 10 issue deal. It is a, um, well, I mean, could have done it with tie ins. It's, it's, it's named after the publisher. They have absolutely, mm-hmm. they could have, this could have been, this could have been Unity. This could have been their event. You, know, you get everybody, yep. there's a tie in, and, but it, I like that it could very well just be one of their timeless tales. It doesn't matter. Where in Valiant's continuity, where, where, where in its history, this story takes place because these characters do exist. These other groups, Archer and Armstrong, Unity, they, they, they're all around. So it doesn't matter when this actually You're happens. Right. So. You're right. This could be the Valiant Evergreen book. Yeah. Because you could throw this at someone who has no experience with the company and say, here's all their characters. I mean, you're not going to get a fully fleshed right, out. Right, yeah, you don't, you don't, who the hell's Punk Mambo? You know, you're not going to know right. who everybody is, so. But, but it's a nice intro to their universe. And it does focus on the major players. Bloodshot, Eternal Warrior, and the Geomancer. And, and you get the, the, the big antagonist. You, you get the lay of the land with MI6 and, uh, Capshaw. You know, you know, you know who all the the principal players are. This is this could be the Valiant book that you know is always in print. I like it. Yeah, so do I. All right, everybody. Hey, sorry for the uh, tumultuous nature of this episode. We did what we could, but we hope you enjoyed yourself. As always, get thy asses to Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, because you can save a whole lot of money on every title in the previews catalog. That's a massive amount of books, and they're all discounted at DCB Service. Valiant, Bloodshot Reborn number one, will cost you $1.99. Jeff Lemire, as I said, is writing it. Miko Swayan and Jeff Lemire are drawing it. Uh, the Ghost Fleet, trade paperback volume one. I'm sorry if this is not valid, but I have to push this book. Uh, Donnie Cates, Dan Johnson... Will cost you seven forty nine, and from Image Comics, woo, woo, the legacy of Luther Strode. Justin Jordan wrote it, Trad Moore and Felipe Sobriero drew it and embellished it and whatevered it. Um, cover price three ninety nine, your price one dollar ninety nine cent. Nice in your in your travels. The highlight, one of the highlights of uh, my monthly comic book uh, reading comes from IDW, and they are. Uh, in my opinion, inseparable. They are co-published with, uh, from Craig Yo, Yo Books, or in this case, Yo Comics and IDW. They are Haunted Horror and Weird Love. By far the best value 
in in comics today. No doubt in my mind. Uh, clay coated, um, heavy stock for the covers, uh, pulpy pages. I believe each each issue runs forty eight pages, and they will only cost you three ninety nine a pop. Much less if you get them through our sponsor, Discount Comic Book Service. But uh, because uh, the content enables them to take this kind of uh, lavish production with these things, because I believe, don't quote me, but I believe most of the stuff reprinted is public domain. Hence, they don't have to pay creators. So you get a lot of comics for your dollar, a lot of great comics, and... Um, no one uh is the wiser what i there's one story in this uh this is haunted horror number 14 there's a story in here called the devil from the deep uh lee j ames drew it it's been reprinted from nightmare number two which appeared out of ziff davis in the fall of 1952 that's a long time ago it is uh the guy's name is robert strangeway and he just so happens to have fallen in love with a mermaid. Not a bad deal, right? He's out fishing, throws his line in. Whoa, I got a big one. When he reels it in, he does have a big one because it's a friggin' beautiful woman. Brings her up on the, the, the deck of the boat and, uh, she's been hurt because of the struggle with the, you know, the, the line and stuff. And he immediately falls in love with her. Oh, geez, look at this woman. She's gorgeous. So he brings her back to his estate. Robert has some money. Um, and, and kind of nurses her back to health and falls deeply in love with her. But it turns out that the mermaid has a taste for meat. She loves the meat. Mm. She eats his, e- eats his dog, <laughs> eats his manservant. My kind of story. Yeah. And, uh, so how does, how does Robert deal with this problem? Well, it's pretty messed up how he does it. And I'm not going to say because you'll have to read it for yourself. Um, there's, this is just an example of what you'll find in these pages. There's an awesome story drawn by Tony Mortolaro. I always get that wrong. Reprinted from, uh, Weird Mysteries number 12 from 1954. And, uh, Mr. Jeremiah is a tailor. The, the story is called While the Iron Was Hot. And he loves the kids in the neighborhood. And it, it's, the, 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 uh, the population in, in the area don't have the most money. You know, basically paupers. And he does his part to help out. It's Halloween, so he's, he's, he's making costumes for the kids. And, uh, Jerem, Mr. Jeremiah's wife is a royal bitch. Does not like the fact that he's doing this stuff for children, uh, and even l- likes it even less that he's not getting paid for it. So she berates the dude, get your ass back to work. You're losing money. Go. You have that, you have that dress to make. Um, I guess he has a very important client, uh, a very large woman who needs a dress and, and, um, you know, he can't bring himself to do it, uh, because of the, the abuse. And number two, you know, those mannequins, the headless mannequins that, uh, armless that, uh, seamstresses and tailors use and they put the, the garment on it and they use it as a, well, the one he has is too small for the size dress he needs. 
So he, he said, I have to go out and get another mannequin. This one's not going to work. Get your ass back to work. Like the wife berates him again. So he does his best and he just can't get it. The, the dress isn't laying right on the mannequin and he's getting frustrated and the, the, the old dude, he looks like such a nice guy. He's got a big bushy white mustache and his hair thinning. Um, and he just can't fucking take it anymore. Uh, so he, uh, I'm going to blow this one because the ending's pretty cool. He he goes upstairs and she's she's like, "What are you doing? Get back down there to work." He he cuts his wife's uh, head and arms off and uses her lifeless torso as the mannequin as and should. makes and makes the dress perfectly. And it's got it's a yellow dress with black spots, <laughs> just like <laughs> it's insane. There there are vampire stories in here by uh, from the Beyond number seventeen. Um, I love these comics. It's it's just pure fun. They're ridiculous. It's much like Spawn. They're ridiculous. Sometimes they don't make a whole lot of sense, but the the enjoyment factor is very high. And let me tell you, these guys can draw. Doug Wadley's in here. Ooh. Yeah, from 1953. I didn't think Doug Wadley was that old. Oh yeah, I didn't know that. There's a, a story called uh, The Headless Horror by Abe Simon. Just amazing stuff. And then the Weird Love Book, which I won't go into because I'm, I'm uh, overstaying my, my place here. Um, it's it's crazy, off-kilter romance stories. Uh, some of them are in the same vein as, as The Haunted Horror. Like There's some where they go places uh, the average love book. A title didn't go but for the most part they're just bizarre relationship stories like sometimes people end up dying sometimes they don't you know but i mean if you're looking for the gruesome gory stuff that's haunted horror if if you're just looking for just like uh david lynchian bizarre romance tales pick up the weird love you can't go wrong in, in either respect they're just great great books and they're published on a bi-monthly schedule so you can get one every month and mix it up. One month you read about the vampires and the zombies, and next month you read about the uh, the the communist sympathizer who falls in love with the you know the straight guy. So it's <laughs> you get you get everything. Everything. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I didn't talk about it yet today, since we talked about it yesterday. But um, in your travels, pick up Spider Gwen number one. Also, um, which Vince still hasn't read. Spent twenty four hours, dude. Can I be totally honest? Oh shit. I got the Valiant number three and it just, I just forgot about Spider Gwen. No offense to anyone involved with any of these books, but I, I don't know. I just, there's, I, I, I just don't know. I'm taking offense. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say, uh, we, we did talk about the first two issues and, um, now we're going to talk about the third because the third kind of, Let's you know what the hell is going on with some of these characters. This would be Rumble number three. Oh, really? I didn't get that yet. Uh, John Arcudi and James Heron are your co-creators, your writer and artist. Uh, Dave Stewart on colors, Chris Iliopoulos on letters. And it is, um, it still looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Heron, it's, we're just lucky with a bunch of great artists these days. Stewart's colors make everything sing, especially the, the, the bloody, um, battles. But, uh, 
we we get an idea of who um you know there's Rathrak and 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 who's who's your scarecrow uh but what was he before he was a scarecrow no they tell we you we find out <gasps> we find out how it happened and who the old rummy is at the bar and get it is here. it is the best issue yet i i, I can believe that it look it, it's just oh man i can't wait for my box you it's oh it Man, there's some shady, shifty shit happening. And uh, what about the, the the body in the sewer? Did that get uh, extrapolated on? Remember the no. Ooh, how about the cat? No. Oh, good. So they must spend a lot of time, you know, fleshing stuff out. They do. They they okay. it's 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 a. Uh, yeah, we don't we don't get anything about Mr. Bill Badan or, or or whatever the cat's <laughs> name was. It's 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 basically uh the kid, the bartender, his uh his goofy looking buddy, and Rathrak. And uh that's that's who we're hanging out with mostly. Um So they are demons then, the the things flying uh around. Yeah. Good. Uh yeah, no, it's it's uh it's it's the issue we're waiting for. It it you know it's just explained and and uh, you know feels are felt. It's it's good. I I definitely recommend it. And um, you got the feels. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you know what? I I'm gonna save this for next week. Actually, I pissed Vince off this week. I'm gonna piss Jason off next week because I'm a few issues away from finishing the Alias series. Um and uh. I'm also catching up on Wade and Somni's Daredevil, so I'll probably talk a little bit about that next week. So, wow. yeah, there's... Uh, you, you didn't even come close to pissing me off. I didn't. I did Because you didn't say anything that wasn't true. That's true. And I wasn't I, I wasn't trying to be mean no. or, or snarkier than usual. It just, I, I, I looked, I, I decided to just, I wasn't going to read it through... Virgin eyes, because obviously I, I read the story before and, and you know, I love busting your balls about the whole drums thing. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, I knew it. I just, I wanted to see if it, uh, how it would stand up to another reading in, in, in today. I think Todd would even agree with you on a lot of those points. I would like to know that. Reluctantly, I bet you he would. He'd be like, "I was young. What do you want?" Exactly. It, Everybody, everybody's got to learn that, somewhere. You're absolutely right, and and that's mm-hmm. and that it's not like this is you know Todd who's been in the industry for twenty years, and this is the kind of stuff he's trying to put out there. This is this is young Todd, and and no, I'm not. I am. I don't want to ruin any surprises. I am not. I, I'm not going to. I hope I'm not going to piss Jason off next week. I'll just... I'll... Well, since we're talking about being pissed off, I'm kind of pissed off at Todd. I told you why. Remember? Well, oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we didn't uh, talk about that this week. No, we didn't. Well, we should do it when, when Jason gets caught up. But uh, Todd McFarlane is, had the brilliant idea... To combine, well, don't, I don't want anybody to look. For oh, I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to tell you what what the what the spoiler okay. was. But um, he had the brilliant idea to combine the uh, versatility of a Lego type building set with the popularity of a property like The Walking Dead, which is brilliant. 
and and in typical Todd McFarlane uh, fashion, where at least where his toys are concerned, the it's not your standard Lego bricks. They're just not you know geometric shapes. They're tricked out, uh, very very detailed pieces. Um, if it's if it's like say the uh, the shingles on a roof, they look like shingles. If it's the the side of a building, it looks like either you know like vinyl or, or wood or whatever. The floorboards look like floorboards they're they're very detailed and he has a number of building sets out the one that i think i gotta get is the governor's uh the room with the, oh, with the, the fish heads tanks and, okay dude the, the 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 fish tanks light up stop they light up you get you get the chair in the middle of the room with the governor sitting in it you get the all the floorboards and the two walls the little girl his daughter you get her but the the heads in the the fish tanks, you press a button and the friggin' things light up. Come on, that's pretty rad. I need to have yeah, this, right? But anyway, so I guess the toy fair was recently, and Todd he brought either prototypes of of the the upcoming sets, or uh, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But he had he had examples of the upcoming sets, and he put it on the Facebook, and one of the sets has a gigantic spoiler for the television show. If if you read the comic, you 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 know this is coming, but those that have not got up to that point are it's going to come out of the blue. Or and it, and or who haven't if read you, the comic. Right, that's what I mean. Uh who haven't read the comic and and if you take a look at these images, you will have probably the season finale spoiled for you. So don't do it. And don't share it. And don't share it. And don't hint at it. I'm just saying, it's big doings. And you, if you if you like your entertainment untarnished, do not look at those preview images for Todd's building sets for The Walking Dead. That's all I'm saying. I was royally pissed. I'm like, you would think that Kirkman would say, Todd, this is huge. You can't send this out to millions of people to see. This is gonna piss on. You know my my finale for the year. Well, we'll see. Maybe maybe it happens next year. I don't know, but it is a spoiler nonetheless. It will happen. It's confirmed, and now because it's in plastic, and um and Todd just sent it out. So there's only got to be a few episodes left of the season. Yeah, yeah. I like this 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 half of the season very much. Like it a lot. I do too. Yeah. So there you go, David and I cleaning up Jason's mess oh, as stop. usual. Stop! If you anything, um, <laughs> it was my mess that needed to be cleaned up. <laughs> Please join us next week because, as David always says, we can't do this without you because he loves you so much and needs you here. Jason loves you because David loves you. David does most of you. Well, All you, you, don't, you know who you are. Yes. And I love you too. Just come back next week. Same place you found this one. There'll be another one of these waiting for you. Uh, we're sorry for the day late, but you gotta do what you gotta do. Um, and say goodnight, David. Goodnight, David. You even keep the pause and everything how I do it. You're pretty spiffy. I dress myself. <laughs> Peace. Later.
home.